You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 270 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and joining me in a very humid studio this evening I is my co-host Matt Smith. <laughs> hello, hello everybody, how are we all? It's a bit warm in here this evening. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes, and you haven't shut up about it since you got here. That's right, I've got, nothing my, I've got I my biggest fan here, I've got right. my biggest fan here, I'm okay. Uh-huh, yeah, that'll, that'll be it, yeah. So, what's been going on in the world of Smith this week? Ooh. Not a lot, really. I went to uh, I went to that place that you really love. I went to Harry Potter World again oh, this week. <laughs> what? It was really good because I wasn't here last week for a, for a very very simple reason is because uh, I went to a wedding last week. That's why I had to give my apologies. I'm just going to put this up very very quickly. Uh, there we go. That's that's uh, where where I went. As I say with with Owen, he he and I went to a wedding, which was really quite nice. Kate was looking absolutely radiant as you would expect. Uh, very happy day it was too. Thoroughly spoilt. It was a well. It was a bit cooler than today. I'm pleased to say. Uh, thank goodness, because I think it would have been a bit warm in the marquee. Mm. Uh, but yeah, a marvellous time was had by all. Thank you very much. And Owen looking very dapper. You are, you know, as a you know, tailored suit, don't you know? Very posh. Very yes, posh. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So welcome on as well this week. He's uh, back with us this week as always. It's the awesome man who puts the A in A V. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, hello, here I am. And uh, I'm still a bit peeling from Duxford. <laughs> and oh, wow. Generally not very good. So, uh, But uh, yes, Mrs Nev is following me around with the vacuum cleaner. Oh, dear Lord. So I, I flake <laughs> onto the floor. That's a, uh, that's but, a uh, thought. Yes. But it's all, all been very good this week. Uh, hectic at work. Um, but uh, glad it's the, uh, the long weekend here. We've got a bank holiday on Monday, which we like, of course. And uh, hopefully this weekend will be slightly less hectic than last weekend. Uh, but we'll tell you more about that later on. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. And joining us as well this week, it's the other awesome co-host of the show. He puts the T in TCAS. It's Armando. <laughs> that that makes me the traffic. I can't believe episode two seventy already. I know. I know two seventy. Do Do you like literally like in your van just sit there working this 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 stuff out? Is, is do that... you sit in my van and watch me? No, you. That's scary, I'm... Matt. <laughs> okay. That's scary. So, how's things with you, Armando? What's uh, What's been happening in the world for you this week? Uh, really well. This has just been a relaxing week for us uh, out here in North Carolina. Not too much flying. Uh, weather's been pretty good, so I think my lovely bride and I have been out paddling a, a few times, and we even took uh, Maddie out in a canoe for a little while. So oh, wow. it's kind of just living the lake life and not a lot of uh, working or anything else. <laughs> that's that's how it should be. You're in, you're yeah. in retirement mode right. now, so that's cool. that's cool. And we also have a, a holiday this Monday. It's Memorial Day here in the U.S., so... Okay. Uh, Nice long weekend for everybody. Ah, pretty oh, cool. Everyone's, cool. everyone's going to have a good weekend yeah, this weekend then. Definitely. Excellent. Definitely. So it is the 24th of May. It's uh, just coming up to quarter past seven on a Friday evening. And it's safe to say that uh, we've had uh, some really nice weather the last few days here in the east of Anglia. Yeah, I don't really we? know what's going on, really, mm. frankly. Uh, it's uh, some, something very... Uh, there's, a, there's this big sort of sort of like yellowy thing in the sky mm. and around it is some mm. blue stuff. 
And there's also something that's going on in the UK this week that um, are both Gemma and I think probably Mrs. Nev has been following closely on BBC this week regarding floral. The test card? <laughs> yeah. The uh, Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Big event in the UK this yeah. week. But... Um, that's on the cards for next year now. Apparently, I've been oh, told. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I must admit, Mum used to go every year. It's uh, it's 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 a show worth visiting if you get the chance. Yeah. If you like that sort of thing, you I, need, I, to be fair, you do like that sort of even thing. Even I might yeah, take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love cutting grass, so it's it you should love be, it should cutting be good. the grass. You also love doing the ironing, but they don't do any ironing conventions, do they? No, no, no. <laughs> be feel free to bring yours round Sunday. Excellent. Anyway, joining us <laughs> in the live chat room this week, all the usual family members in there this week. Joining Joining us along uh, with uh, uh, Tony S, uh, Jonathan Warner, Auntie Liz, Neil Landwarn is in there as well. We've got uh, Micah is also in the chat room. Uh, Liz, oh, we have Auntie Liz, Andy Wilson. And uh, scrolling up the list here, Masha. Hello to you, Masha, in the chat room. Hope things are good with you. And uh, scrolling up, Captain Jeff is also oh, in the chat room. Oh, keeping behave an yourselves, eye on everyone. Things. Yes. Graham Haley. Hello to you, Graham. And oh, we saw Graham, did we not? So we long did, ago. Yeah. Um, so hello to everyone who has joined us and watching the live show this evening. Anyone who's watching, by the way, if you are watching the YouTube feed, we always have a picture on our green screen behind nice. us. Uh, behind me this evening is a rather beautiful uh, picture. Now, uh, I've rather neglected to ask the person who sent this to me what it is. I think they're saying flanker uh, in the in the uh, in the <coughs> chat room, but that could be anything. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, this has been very kindly sent to me by Jonathan Warner, and it's a cracking shot. So. Uh, yeah, the chat room will tell me exactly what it is in just a moment, I have no doubt. <laughs> oh, it's an SU-27 flanker, Graham Haley is saying. <laughs> see, I know, see? That's see? why we have a chat room. Yeah, we That's the why we have a chat we room. Absolutely. So, yeah, great shot. Thank you very much, uh, as always, Jonathan. Uh, if you would like to perhaps send a shot uh, for us to put up on our green, tune, green screen, please do. We'll make sure you get the appropriate credit. Uh, email mm. it to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Nice. Special mention before we kick things off then to Tanya Wyman who has ordered uh, one of our PTUK shirts just to let you know Tanya we are just awaiting the uh, delivery of some fresh shiny new t-shirts so small and tiny I know this is the trouble but uh, <laughs> soon they should be with us uh, this coming week so when they do get to uh, to me I will send that off to you as soon yeah. as possible don't forget if you want to buy uh, one of our t-shirts just take yourselves over to the website and you can uh, grab yourself one on there so coming up in the show this week we have got some awesome bits of video segmenty type stuff we've got uh, video segmenty type stuff I know he said that out loud everyone <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got uh, the uh, video which uh, was uh, taken at Duxford a few weeks oh, back with the Concorde yeah. doing its nose droopy thing, and uh, we've doing all... its nose droopy thing. It's going to be one of those shows, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and we've also got uh, a very very special segment coming up at the uh, bottom end of the show, which is regarding Nick's retirement uh, meal, which was uh, last Sunday. Ah, and yes, you've got to watch that because it's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, also, uh, we do have which uh, I didn't uh, which. Which has only been sorted out today. We do have a little bit of audio feedback from uh, a chap by the name of Andrew Wilson. Oh, yes. Not the A320 podcast, Andrew Wilson. <laughs> uh, which, uh, uh, poor guy has been confused by me. The two have been confused all week by me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I am. And if you're ready, Nev. 
Yes. Armando? Ready to go. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, and it's on that fabulous publication that Nev loves. It's the Sun. <laughs> not, not for the reasons you like it, though. <laughs> and uh, the headline: It's uh, uh, an airline we covered uh, last week. Actually, Thomas Cook uh, share price drops as fears mount that its airline must be sold to pay debts. So Thomas Cook's share prices took another plunge amid fears the travel company must sell its airline arm to keep afloat. Shares dropped from 12.22 pence to 11.18p this uh, this week, and 9% fall, and they're hovering around the 11.3 mark at the time of this story going out. The latest dip comes as a credit rating agencies Fitch and S&P have downgraded Thomas Cook after the travel firm's latest profit warning, which saw it reveal a 1.5 billion pound loss. Both firms believe the in-depth company should struggle this summer due to lower bookings and continued fierce competition and Brexit uncertainty. There we go, we've got the word in there somewhere. The agencies also (laughs) point out that the travel company could be left cash-strapped if it fails to sell its airline business. Thomas Cook has put its airline up for sale and has also agreed a £300 million bank facility to provide more cash for the upcoming winter season. A spokesperson for Fitch said the downgrade reflects the tight liquidity uh, we expect Thomas Cook Group to face towards the end of 2019. Should it not sell its airline division or be able to draw on the planned 300 million senior uh, secure facility? Uh, last week, Thomas Cook said it had received multiple bids to take over all parts of the its airline business. The company declined to comment on its credit rating downgrades. And uh, the uh, they said that they, uh, but compared to Monday, the share price crashed to 8.55 pence, a level not seen since 2011. The company has reassured all travellers that their holidays are safe in the wake of the profit warning. It's also been tweeting words of reassurance to worried holidaymakers, which is good news, Matt. I think because a lot of people I know do use Thomas Cook um, for their all-inclusive uh, package deals. Yeah, I must have. I must admit, I've I've not had the the pleasure so far. Um, but uh, I mean, will it have much of an impact? Do you think if they do sell the the the, the aviate, you know, you know the, the the plane side of things? I think whoever takes Thomas Cook on, because Thomas Cook have got quite a lot of nice little kind of European segments in around, mm. you know, Europe, good destinations and stuff. Um, I think any airline that takes them on will. Will do well, but it would I be mean, a terrible shame to lose Thomas Cook. But with the, well, I don't think you'll lose Thomas Cook as a as an agent. Let's be honest. I mean, they started out as a, uh, a, a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a like an insurance broker, but not um, <laughs> tra- travel agent. That's it. Mm. They started life as a travel agent, didn't they? So it was. Um, it, they're just sort of going back to their roots a bit, really. But um, I mean, I, I did, so whoever buys Thomas Cook, are they going to be guaranteed the the, the slots? The, well, uh, well, I was thinking more the, the debt. Well, no, 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 not even that. I was thinking more the, the the business from Thomas Cook. Do you think there'll be a bit of a retainer, maybe? No, I don't know. I think the airline will continue to to go ahead. Mm. It may go under a different banner if it's absorbed, because you know what happens nowadays. These yeah. the airlines that are in trouble get absorbed into another airline. Well, and that's um, true. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nev? What do you think? I think it's a nice airline, and these inclusive tour packages that they do are great. They've got a nice fleet of aircraft, mm. but it's all about the share price again, isn't it? And everybody yeah. is uh, so focused it. on that. 
these days. Yeah. And uh, if there's a profits warning or a bit of a wobble, uh, everybody goes into meltdown. But uh, I think they've got enough business to tough it out somehow, either independently yeah. or as part of somebody else. So they're, they're, I'm sure they're, they've got very good load factors on uh, all of their mm. routes. Yeah. So moving on swiftly to the next story, uh, which is... a. Uh, an exciting story for you, Matt. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Which is, by the way, this is not a story I want to be reading like literally two days before I get on one. I should just stress. <laughs> anyway, this is on the witch.co.uk, which is very worrying mm. because it's um, quite a good website. It's quite yeah. a quite a good website in regards to consumer reviews mm. uh, here in the UK. And the headline is: Is Ryanair getting worse? Poor customer service drives down fares and profits at the budget airline. Ryanair has announced that profit have fallen by a third because it's been forced to reduce fares. It's no surprise that fares have had to be cut, cut given its record low rating with passengers. In our survey of nearly 8,000 airline passengers at the end of last year, Ryanair was rated the worst airline in the UK. But more worrying for the airline was the margin by which it finished last. Ryanair gained a customer score of just 40%. The second worst airline in our survey received 52%. The best rated budget rival received a whopping 75%. Um, yet despite Ryanair be, uh, being rated last or nearly last almost as long as our annual survey has been running passengers have continued to book its flights tangles over even stricter bag fees and aggressive customer service haven't put passengers off but it seems cancellations are worsening and delays are getting even more so uh, things went wrong for Ryanair in autumn 2017 when it suddenly announced it didn't have enough pilots for its scheduled oh, flights some 400,000 passengers received a letter telling them that their flight had been cancelled and 18 million more were left wondering if their flights would even take off including some during the Christmas period the situation was worsened by Ryanair's refusal to follow the rules on rerouting passengers leaving thousands waiting days to get where they had paid to go the scale of the disruption and Ryanair's poor handling of helping stranded passengers has almost certainly had a knock-on effect to its reputation Ryanair usually brushes off criticism with of its abrupt, uh, abrupt approach to customer service and aggressive fee charging by saying passengers will book its cheap fares anyway. But what good are cheap fares if the airline is going to cancel your flight and leave you stranded? It's perhaps no surprise then that so many passengers told us they won't fly Ryanair. A staggering 70% in fact of all those who said that there's one airline that they would go out of their way to avoid. Ryanair can point to increasing passenger numbers as proof customers are still willing to fly with it, but it had to drop fares even further to convince them to book. In part, uh, that's because there are other airlines with cheap fares on many routes. Norwegian Air has arrived at many Ryanair airports, while Jet2 has continued to expand the number of UK airports it flies from. Both are rated as far better than Ryanair by passengers. More competition means Ryanair no longer offers the cheapest fare on every route. And that's especially true if you're flying as a family, meaning you need to pay to sit next to your child and may want to bring luggage. When we priced up a London to Alicante flight earlier this year, Ryanair had the cheapest headline price at 52% versus 
uh, 52 pounds sorry versus 68 pounds with jet 2 but add in a check suitcase and assigned seat and the total with jet 2 was 114 versus 134 with Ryanair, perhaps the most concerning result for Ryanair from our most recent passenger survey was its rating for value for money. Whilst it had been rated towards the bottom of our survey overall for several years, passengers have always rated it three stars out of five for value for money, a reflection that poor customer service and comfort could be overlooked if the price was right. This year, for the first time, its rating fell to just two stars. That's the joint lowest in our survey, a reflection that low fare isn't the whole story when it comes to value now quick one on this story mm -hmm. before we move on uh, a friend of mine who works with me got this flight okay from yeah. Mer is it Mercia uh, Mercia to Stansted Mercia International Airport to Stansted Spain I think that is yeah and um, he got this flight home this morning yes and it cost him 14.99 what that's very cheap uh, Armando's got his hand up far away, my friend. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with Micah in the chat, chat room on this one. When I lived in the UK um, for the six years that I lived over there, I, I booked uh, with Ryanair quite a, quite a few times. And the eight pounds extra that it would cost me for trip insurance, I, I knew exactly what I was getting with Ryanair. So 52 yeah. pounds, 68 pounds. It, when I'm going to a destination that I'm going to you know, get a rental car, hotel, something like that, another eight to 15 pounds to get the insurance or book through a third party that will immediately rebook you on to a different uh, carrier. Uh, it just was completely worth it, you know, for yeah. me to still fly under a hundred pounds round trip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I must admit I'm, because uh, <laughs> of course we've got a, an added uh, slight stress because of where I'm going to in the UK, uh, in, in uh, Italy. Uh, I'm going to Brindisi and I'm a little bit nervous because obviously there's been some little air traffic control strikes going Conversion on. airport as well, actually, oh, Brindisi. Great. Is yeah. it? Right. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a little bit nervous at all. I mean, I'm hoping that when I do actually get there, that A, we get You'll off the ground. You'll be all right. Yeah, I, more important. Uh, Isn't ba Bari and, and Naples are right around there too, right? Uh, right. Okay. I, I, it was not, it was, <laughs> right. I mean, I am going for a wedding, uh, so I'd quite like to get to my chosen destination. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, Ryan. Uh, you know, come on, come on, Nev. Are we ever, ever going to see you on a Ryan? He will. One day, Nev will do it. Uh, might happen. Uh, I have been on <laughs> one before. Have you? But I was just uh, unusually for me. I was doing a bit of research this afternoon what? Uh, about Ryanair and profit warnings and share price and the rest of it. This has all happened before way back in 2013 and, and before that. And uh, as Masha said in the chat room, she's never been on a Ryanair flight that wasn't full. So the load yeah. factors mm. yeah, absolutely. Here are not the problem. And um, uh, O'Leary claims he's going to have the cheapest fares, and he does for the best part. Yeah, and yeah. there's people that aren't happy with some of the service, but you do pay for what you get. Um, when it's all working a treat, I don't think anyone can, can complain at all, but uh, it's when it goes wrong and you're a bit stranded down route or, or whatever, then that's a different thing altogether. But I, I think the airline's in good shape. They've got uh, uh, a lot of uh, aircraft orders and they're talking to Boeing about more. So, mm. um, yeah, a, a, a minor blip, I think, no more than that. Well, and this is it. I mean, we, we've said I, I, numerous times, we've said they're essentially the buses of the skies. People, um, you know, like me, who frankly can't afford any other alternative, as you say, like, you know, 
your friend has, has managed to get back for fourteen ninety nine. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you, it's, I mean that's cheaper even than a National Express coach, for goodness sake. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, admittedly, that was with no, obviously, checked baggage. That well, no, but even a, so. A carry-on. Like, yeah, but you know, yeah. It's, it's still 15 it's quid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you put if you put a checked bag in there, which is, so if you want a wheelie case now with Ryanair, and the only reason I'm so up on this is because obviously I've been looking into it, because actually the bag that I always use to travel with is now an issue it doesn't it's too big now for the new rules so 25 quid actually. yeah so it's 25 quid yeah. basically to stick it in so I, i'm just going to risk it basically yeah. and if they charge me the 25 quid then no, well. then so be it but uh, tell me tell me you're a podcaster PTUK. Yeah, I, I'm a little fine. bit worried if I tell them that I'm from Plain Talking UK um, that they might have actually put you in seat one A. <laughs> what on a Ryanair yeah. flight? <laughs> what's, what's that? Uh, Nev, is, Nev is busy laughing. Anyway, <laughs> I know. So moving on to uh, to Nev, then Nev, we have got the well a royal story for you this week. Yes, it's on the Mail Online, and when we normally talk about Queen Elizabeth, we normally talk about Liz Piper, but this is a different <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. This is uh, the monarch, no less, and um, uh, the Queen was reminiscing about some of her most memorable overseas trips uh, during a visit to the BAHQ, and she's 93 years old, and she spoke about her first flight on the Concorde, spelt incorrectly, uh, in 1977, <laughs> uh, and a 17-hour non-stop journey from Perth to London in 2011. You see, the reason they could do that in 2011, because it wasn't a very full flight, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, the Queen, who does not have a passport, uh, was also shown the handwritten ticket she was issued for her BA flight to Jamaica shortly after her coronation in 1953. Oh yes, I remember, she said brightly, when she was shown the handwritten stub. The uh, Queen is the most travelled monarch in British history, having visited 116 countries during 266 official visits. However, she admitted that the dozens of trips uh, do get muddled in her memory. And uh, I don't know whether Matt's bringing up some pictures here, but there's some uh, oh, yes. pictures of some of the things that she's been doing. And um, uh, she's uh, lots of different travels to different places, she said, almost to herself, as she pursued a display featuring some of her, her iconic trips around the global. I think they mean around the globe. Um <laughs> It is the Daily Mail, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, with mischievous smile, she added, having travelled so much, they tend to get, they tend of get a bit muddled. Who is writing this stuff? <laughs> is it Ray Charles or something? <laughs> My goodness me. Okay. Uh, the Queen was shown the memorabilia during a visit to British Airways headquarters near Heathrow in Harmonsworth, Middlesex. Uh, point of order there, Middlesex no longer exists as a county, uh, to mark the airline's 100th anniversary this August. Uh, she plumped for a typically vibrant ensemble for the occasion wearing a sky blue coat with a matching hat. The outing marks the fourth, fourth official engagement in as many days for the Queen, following a visit to the Chelsea Flower Show, a Buckingham Palace garden party, and an outing to a pop-up Sainsbury's show yesterday. My oh, yes. goodness, she knows how to live it up. I, did, did, you actually, did you actually see the? Because it made it onto the news, didn't it? The, the, I um, did see oh, that, yes. yes. She, was talk, she was talking about, you know, the self-service tills. Uh, she was talking about those, mm. and she sort of said, Erin, uh, can you cheat them? 
yeah. <laughs> which was just absolutely brilliant. I just, no, I love our queen. I'll tell you what, when it's going to be a very sad day when she's no longer in charge. It has to be said. I Certainly. love that woman. She's incredible. <laughs> well, also uh, as part of the visit, the queen toured the Speedbird Centre, which is uh, BA's heritage museum, and reminisced with volunteer Jim Davis, Davis about her jet set life. Mr. Davis, who worked for the firm for almost 36 years before retiring, st- uh, started in the um, booking office and then moved to customer services, showed the uh, sovereign a model of one of their older planes named the Elizabethan. Uh, She was also shown a picture of her christening an Avro Tudor plane at London Airport in 1947. Uh, Her host explained that in light of wartime austerity, champagne would have looked too profligate. Uh, The Queen was also shown the ticket for her first British Airways flight as Queen six months after her coronation in 1953. And it was a flight for herself and the Duke of Edinburgh to Montego Bay in Jamaica. How long? No, she's summer. doing well. Yeah. She's she? doing yeah, well. She's doing she? well for herself, isn't she? For herself, yeah, she, yeah. She, she's really done well. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's not. It's nice. I, I do like a royal story every now and again. Yeah, and she does look so much like my nana. Does she? <laughs> yeah, scary. Perhaps she is. Perhaps she's got a you know double life. I know. Yeah. So Armando, next story is uh, for you. Yeah, this is from businessinsider.com. Uh, And it's about Amazon threatening to cut its business with a cargo airline that delivers its packages if it can't reach a deal with frustrated pilots. Uh, Since 2016, pilots who operate cargo flights for three companies on behalf of Amazon Air have been without a contract. Now, in the face of more protests, the e-commerce giant's annual shareholder meeting on Wednesday, the company has threatened to take its business elsewhere if a new agreement cannot be reached. The pilots represented by the Airline Professionals Association say that the cargo airlines Atlas Air, Southern Air, and Air Transport Service Group, uh, which are the three airlines that perform many of Amazon Air's daily operations, have dragged their feet on negotiating a new contract. As a result, the pilots say staffing is being stretched thin and talent recruits are opting to fly for competitors, or sorry, talented recruits are opting to fly for competitors instead. In a response to a question from Business Insider about those pilots' fears that more incidents, like the plane crash in Houston earlier this year, could occur because of short staffing and inexperienced pilots, an Amazon spokesperson said that it may rethink its future investments and carriers. We are disappointed with the current state of relations between Atlas and their pilot union, said the spokesperson. Neither side seems to be willing to work towards a reasonable compromise. This is contrary to the interests of Atlas, the pilots and the customers they both serve. We repeatedly hear claims by the union regarding Atlas's service for Amazon that when investigated are factually inaccurate. The continued inability of Atlas and their pilot union to resolve these negotiations could result in a change to the allocation of our current aircraft and future aircraft. We have an obligation to deliver to our customers and so do they. Um, Let's see. The the story goes on a little bit, goes into some of the history. Um, I was looking at a different article, and, and with a story like this, we're going to, you know, sort of try to navigate the neutral ground because there are some good friends of the show that are pilots for Atlas Air. Mm. So, you, so you get some, uh, you know, you get, you get both extremes of the stories. But um, just recently, I believe last month, the Atlas, uh, actually Atlas and Southern Air pilots were uh, picketing outside of Cincinnati's airport and they were 
quoted as saying that the work has exponentially increased. Um, that was an Atlas Air pilot for over 20 years. He said it was once a sleepy carrier. Now there's more work than ever. They regularly work 18-hour days. The pilots who work for those three airlines are paid less than half the industry average and are frequently booked on last-minute flights during their days off. Um, that has led to high turnover rates. Um, the pilot is quoted as saying, you'll be flying from Los Angeles to Narita in Japan. All of a sudden, they come back and say, you also need to go to Hong Kong, then Delhi, then back to Hong Kong before you come back home. Um, wow. So I mean, I, yeah, I, this, uh, this dispute between Atlas and its pilots has been going on for a little while. Um, I mean, so. I mean, on the one hand, you sort of think, well, it's great that uh, you know there's so much work out there, and that's that you know that's why they're they're needing the pilots to do these extra long turnarounds and stuff. But uh, let's be honest, pilots don't tend to go on strike unless they have a really valid uh, reason to be annoyed. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's uh, it's it's one of those industries that people just don't you know you don't strike just on a whim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're a captain at Atlas um, or Southern and so a, a captain at FedEx makes over 300,000 uh, average and UPS, I believe, is in the 350s and and some of these carriers uh, are have been reported to pay 40 to 60 percent of that. So you're working just as hard, if not harder, in the same aircraft through flying 7.6s and 7.4s all the way across the world. And you're making sixty percent of your peers. Um, uh, now, I think it. Now everybody know. Well, also, also Andrew Wilson, who's in the chat room here, he's saying we, obviously he's a pilot. Uh, he he flies for a for a big airline here in the UK. He says we don't like striking, but if it's need for st safety slash fatigue concerns, then I'm all for it. And certainly, judging by some of the details you were reading out in that story there, Armando, I mean. Fatigue is definitely going to be high on the list of, of concerns for the pilots here. Yeah, it certainly is, especially with such long uh, sectors, long legs. And I believe there are some slight differences between a commercial passenger carrier and some of the cargo carriers as far as crew rest, mm. um, mandated crew rest and, and crew periods, crew duty periods. So, um, it, you know... It, I think when we were talking about the Houston crash a couple months ago, um, it largely went unnoticed because there was it was not a passenger aircraft. Yeah. But, you know, especially us in the aviation community, whether it's the, the ground crew, the the operations personnel or the pilots, mm -hmm. you know, we uh, yeah. we want to see the best outcome for, for everyone in these companies. Indeed. So I hope they come to an agreement. Uh, Mike, Mike is saying in the chat room, actually, we all know someone who flies for Atlas. I'm curious of his opinion on this issue. We'll leave that yes. with you, Mike. We know who that please, is. If you could look into that for us, that would be mm. great. <laughs> so, moving on to the next story. The uh, website has the best font in the world. It's obviously Flight Global. Oh, how exciting. And the headline <laughs> is uh, Ryanair pushes back 737 MAX deliveries to winter. So Ryanair has delayed the delivery of its first five 737 MAX jets to the winter 2019-20 season as a result of the worldwide grounding of the re-engine type. The budget carrier insists it's almost confident uh, or almost uh, utmost confidence in the aircraft 
and it says Ryanair has ordered to up to 210 of the aircraft which will be delivered in a high density configuration featuring 197 seats. The first five aircraft due to arrive in summer will be pushed back to November this year. Another 42 will do, are going to be due over the winter season uh, will be delivered over the summer of 2020. Pre-delivery payments have been frozen, the carrier states, and it adds that it expects Boeing to cover the, cover the lost profits. Uh, Ryanair is engaged in talks with the US airframer at the moment in regards to that. The airline says its revised delivery schedule re uh, depends on European Union Aviation Safety Agency approval. Say that after a beer. <laughs> Ryanair says the delayed deliveries mean the airline will not see any meaningful cost benefit until its 2021 fiscal year. But it states the aircraft will generate a significant unit cost saving for the next five years. So it's safe to say that um, they want these jets, there's no doubt about it. But one of the mm. questions that I've heard asked a million times since everything kicked off with this 737 MAX issue is that um, if you were booked on one of these aircraft next week mm. to fly, you know, what would, what you know, after it's been put me up as given its certification back to fly, would you turn around and say, well, no, I don't want to go on that one? See, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've had this conversation before, and mm. I say I'm, I'm partly sort of in, despite being a nerv nervous flying I'm pretty you know I'm sort of quite confident that <laughs> I'd like to think that they really have dotted the I's and crossed all the oh, T's yeah. before that thing goes back in the air so ironically you're probably going to be traveling on one of the safest airframes yeah. out there because I can't True. I can't see that um, I mean you know if something was to happen again I mean that would be the end for that aircraft I'm mm. sure so but there so are quite know. a few airlines I did read in the various news feeds that so uh, there's quite a few airlines globally who are taking Boeing to task mm. on in regards to you know. Yeah. So, so I mean, Nev, are, are there any uh, uh, of these uh, Max planes sort of in the uh, in the pipeline for BA? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> They're going very much down the Airbus route for all right. their short and medium haul ops and uh, on the big stuff uh, they're still running the 747-400s uh, they've got deliveries of A350s right. starting in July so they are not ordering the max as far no. no this is I mean what, what, what are your thoughts on, on I mean how if say BA did have one uh, and you know it was put back in the air and you were booked on a flight with it, I mean, how would you feel about being a passenger on it? I think I'd be fine, but the, the trouble is that the damage has been done. You know, we've had mm. two fatal air crashes, yeah. um, uh, but the worst thing about both of them, it appears to be that the pilots were not fully informed of what the MCAS system mm. was doing. And I think if that's the single biggest takeaway from this, it's that, you know, the flight crew need to know everything, even the bad bits, you know, they, they need to know this is one thing that surprised me that you know they're trained for every single emergency or you know 98 percent of every emergency you're ever going to find uh, on a twin engine jet uh, and yet this information was clearly kept uh, kept from them um, so um, but they have to fix this uh, and and they will but um, there may be some short to medium terms damage not least to Boeing's bank balance because mm. of compensation and uh, Sort of Actually, uh, Carlos was sent a, a story, weren't you, um, in regard with involving Ryanair? Actually, and uh, Ryanair. This is from Flight Global as well. It says Ryanair Chief uh, Michael O'Leary is eager to demonstrate his confidence in Boeing and the under 
737 MAX by being the first to buy more once the aircraft mm. has been cleared to return to service. The Irish low-cost carrier is a major customer of the 737, as we know, according to the Syrian's fleet analyzer. It operates a fleet of 431 737NGs and holds orders for 135 of the MAX variant along with 75 options. Ryanair were due to receive, as Carlos was saying, the first uh, back in April and take five more in 2019. So, as I say, he seems very keen to sort of say that they're still up for it, if, if you see what I mean. So it's like Tony S says in the chat room, though, they're, you know, they're, they're a loyal Boeing customer, you know, and he w they won't turn their back on, yeah. uh, on the Max. So the next story, Matt, and a uh, bit of an interesting one for you. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. It's a bit, bit of an odd story. Certainly, <laughs> it's not really a story. I don't. I don't really. But we'll we'll persevere we'll anyway. So it's it's from the Regis Digest, which is I I, I thought <laughs> something that was only delivered to waste paper baskets, but perhaps <laughs> that's just me. Uh, and the headline. It, well, it's not a headline. I don't know what it is. Anyway, seven weirdest airlines you never knew existed. Even I had to look at these. Uh, <laughs> when the government <laughs> deregulated the airline industry, it made room for all kinds of crazy airline ventures. Here are the strangest. So one of them. It's a shame I'm doing this because the pictures are quite worth showing, actually. One of them is a, an airline called Pet Airways. <laughs> this was launched in 2009 as the first airline to exclusively transport pets or porcengers. Oh, kill me. Uh, and as they put it, in specially equipped main cabins, Pet Airways unfortunately proved all bark and no bite. They didn't last, which was too bad because their ambitious and uh, all strict uh, uh, shelter pet relocation program aimed to provide life-saving flights for rescue pets by sending Aww. them from cities uh, with too much supply uh, to demand uh, if where to places where adoption is high. Um, it's uh, I, I see I see why Armando's fiddling. Look, I love it. This this oh, well could be done. fun. Absolutely. What's, a, what's the next one, Matt? Uh, well, let's, let's, let's let him show that one first if yeah. he can work out how to do it. Uh, so oh, there it goes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, um, so there's several. While that one's being shown, there's several. There's a Smokers Express and Smokers International Airlines. Smokers, Smokers. Yes, <laughs> uh, founded in 1993 and 2006, respectively, by a CEO with a 30 cigarette a day habit. These two airlines were both conceived after the FAA smoking ban in 1990. Yet, whilst uh, while smoke from a cigarette will always rise, neither of these ambitions ambitious airlines lasted uh, longer than a coughing fit. Smokers. <laughs> Express was also weird because it had planned on selling memberships <coughs> like a poor man's NetJets subscription <laughs> offering free six and lotto tickets. I love this next airline's title. <laughs> okay. The Lord's Airline. The Lord's this Airline. This is a little bit stressful, isn't it? Uh, according to uh, uh, Condi Nast Traveller, this weird airline upstart was praying to create a warm <laughs> spiritual atmosphere aimed at born-again believers on proposed DC-8 flights from Miami to Tel Aviv. Uh, the biblical themed planes <laughs> planned on showing only religious movies <laughs> serving absolutely no alcohol and having Bibles and Torahs uh, tucked in the seat back pockets in place of the Sky Mail catalogues. The Lord's airline never did glide towards the heavens. Travelling with this airline would reveal your beliefs, uh, but there are a whole lot more. Uh, surprising things about your airline uh, that, that your airline knows. No, the about next one's you. my favourite one. Yeah, now I know uh, <laughs> a friend of mine who would very much like to use uh, this airline. Uh, uh. It's called Hooters Air. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> the restaurant chain, oh dear, uh, once placed two Hooters girls along with FAA certified flight attendants on flights to and from its hotel <laughs> and 14 other US destinations. According to the Business Insider's verbal history of Hooters Air, there were no buffalo wings served, but passengers could get plenty of soft pretzels and pigs in a blanket. <laughs> the Hooters girls also played trivia with... <laughs> With passengers, despite a memorable, uh, a, a memorable eight 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 fly hoot telephone number, uh, Hooters Air ended up losing forty million dollars over its three year existence. Uh, right, okay. Casino Airlines like Express one. is another one with a primary goal of bringing deep pocketed guests to the Red Line Hotel and Casino in Elko, Nevada, uh, from cities such as Portland, Seattle, and El Paso. Uh, this weird, now defunct airline was a steal for high rollers and casual gamblers alike. It offered round-trip fares as low as $49. Of course, the money those guests would eventually lose at the casino would make those flights significantly more expensive. From 1989 to 2005, the single Boeing 737-200 plane in its fleet carried a total of 40,000 passengers wow. to the red line. That sounds like a, a, mm. vid, uh, like a reasonable success. Mm. MGM Grand Air, which uh, yeah. makes me think of the, the lion at the start of all the... Um, uh, Bond films, isn't it? Initially serving just a single route between New York City's JFK and Los Angeles International. No Las Vegas stops, oddly enough. This uh, gaudy, gold-plated 80s airliner of excess uh, was a favourite of celebs like Ivana Trump, <laughs> um, Madonna and Guns N' Roses frontman Axl Rose before it went bust in 1995 by promising no more than 33 passengers <laughs> on each first-class <laughs> flight only uh, and providing a one-to-six flight attendant to passenger ratio. MGM Grand Air charged upwards of $2,800 for a round-trip ticket in its heyday. That's over $5,000 in today's money. Although it failed, airline experts consider MGM Grand Air to be the precursor of luxury carriers like Emirates. That's now, interesting. The next one is the only one, or one of the few that I'd actually heard yep. of. And the next one and the last one is something called People Express. Uh, the, this bare-bones no-frill airline was a sensation when it opened for business in, 19, in the 1980s. Thanks to charging as much as 70% less than competing carriers. With cheap fares that travellers paid in flight, like on a city bus, and no ads, People Express grew like mad. In 1987, overwhelmed by debt, the airline was purchased by Continental. However, People Express paved the way for future unbundled airfares, like Spirit, uh, airline, sorry, like Spirit and Front Frontier. Uh, the uh, company also had an interesting job rotation plan in which a pilot could spend time loading baggage or a financial analyst could be crunching numbers one day and serving passenger drinks at 25,000 feet the next. Uh, while there are wild stories about People's Express, these uh, there, there are several uh, myths that everyone needs to stop believing. Yes, indeed. So that's interesting. I think my favourite there has got to be Hooters Air. <laughs> uh, just because I know Lee, when he listens back to this, will be beside himself with glee. Uh, and, and also devastated that he probably never got to go on said airline. Mike has said that People Express changed the airline industry in the USA. Did it? Mm. Well, it sort of invented... You know what we now know as uh, as like Ryanair and things like that. I guess. Obviously, you, you've you've heard of that one, Armando. Yeah, the exactly. People Express was one of the first, if not the first, low real low cost carrier, and to the point where they were filling. Uh, I think at at their peak, they had uh, six seven forty seven two hundreds and a couple of seven forty seven one hundreds, and it, in an all coach configuration. 
Um, so, um, you know, it was ahead of its day. Any favourites there, Nev? Hmm. Um, I quite like the Hooters one, but I'm a bit surprised. <laughs> it's 737200, but um, it was a while ago, so I suppose that's, uh, that's probably why. But um, no, people ex People's Express, uh, yeah, very popular uh, in the US, and they were uh, did a service into Gatwick, if I seem to remember correctly. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, they had some of the original uh, 100 and 200 series uh, 747s, as Armando said. Mm. So yeah. So Nev, a low cost story for you next. Oh, are you all right, Nev? It is. <laughs> are you but, sat well? Down? Yeah, but it, yeah. <laughs> well, it's on the Express, isn't it? Oh, so no. <sighs> anyway. It says the following. Um, <laughs> uh, EasyJet's new Airbus A321neo is the ultimate flying machine, according to a documentary on the budget airline. Now, we've had oh, this, uh, no. this is the third uh, in a series of three documentaries um, over the last three weeks here in the UK, and you can see it on YouTube if you look it up as well. Um, well, as we know, um, EasyJet is the UK's largest airline, carrying almost 89 million passengers in 2018. In July last year, the budget airline took delivery of 30 brand new A321neo jets, which became the largest in its fleet. The new plane, which costs £90 million, is the longest member of the Airbus single aisle family, with 235 economy seats in EasyJet's configuration. Featuring the widest cabin in the sky, the uh, jet incorporates the latest technologies, including new generation engines and specialized wingtips, which together deliver more than 15% fuel and CO2 savings from day one, and 20% by 2020, as well as 50% noise reduction. To date, the plane has only been used for regular flights on some of the airline's longer European routes, from London's Gatwick Airport. It's also been used for a handful of destinations in Greece. However, it's proved popular amongst uh, EasyJet's pilots. ITV's EasyJet Inside the Cockpit documentary revealed. The 2019 series detailed every day EasyJet carries 200,000 passengers, but with more demand and airports fall to bursting, EasyJet needs bigger planes. Seven metres longer than the current Airbus and with 49 extra seats, the new Airbus A321 could help EasyJet carry two million more passengers per year. At Gatwick, the team flying the new aircraft uh, is 26-year-old uh, First Officer Jenny Herbert and seasoned Captain Simon Mattia. Uh, the new jet may be the ultimate flying machine. What an extraordinary statement that is. It's an A321 Neo, you know. There'll be lots around shortly. Yes. Um, uh, Captain Mattia, who's the pilot in charge, said, I think everybody loves this plane because it's big and stable. Uh, before rookie trainee Miss Herbert joked, I was told it's really difficult to have a bad landing in it, uh, but I might have to testify to that. Um, it comes after EasyJet announced plans to return to Jordan with a winter service uh, to the Red Sea port of Aqaba. Uh, the new route, which started in October last year, departs from Gatwick every Saturday and Tuesday and takes just over five hours. Aqaba's uh, attractions include its beaches, snorkeling and scuba diving, plus access to the south of the country, including the famous city of Petra and the desert landscapes of Wadi Rum. Uh, the Desert Kingdom emerged out of the uh, divided Middle East after World War I, World War I, and those that visit are surprised 
by the historical gems that they discover. Uh, for example, the historical city, city of Petra has been labelled one of the seven wonders of the world. Also known as the Rhodes City, due to the colouring of the stone, the main entrance is a breathtaking site located at the end of a winding stone corridor that was once home to the ancient uh, Nabatean people in 300 BC. Uh, so uh, there we go. But yes, uh, this is going to be a fantastic aircraft on the longer routes, and uh, it looks quite a comfortable machine, I must say. Have you been enjoying this series, uh, Nev? I watched the episode number three yesterday. Oh, you mm. actually watched it, did you? Mm. Mm. All a bit cheesy, really mm. fast editing, and oh, well, and also, I, I, well, I think we were saying actually. I mean, we were we were all having a bit of a chat when we were when we were at Duxford, and uh, quite inaccurate editing, which is which is alarming, really. Um, mm. I, I think was it you were saying, Nev? That it was something like you know, it's calling, it's uh, it's. You're hearing the calls, if you like, at the wrong point during the flight. You know, sloppy editing, essentially. There was, yeah. There, there was um, uh, a call out of V1 um, when the aircraft's already about 100 foot off the deck right. uh, taking off. And there was some um, fails where they were uh, operating out of Gatwick and there were shots of Manchester. But that's Brilliant. just produc production values yeah, and absolutely. my pet peeve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, accuracy is important. I mean, this is... this is the thing, to the yeah. folder. Yeah. Well, it is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the next story, uh, Armando, is uh, moving from a, a new jet to one that's uh, 55 years old. <laughs> yeah, this is from Flight Global. It's about Russian carrier Al Rosa to uh, operate, or actually operated, uh, its final flight with a Tupolev Tu-134 on 22 May as it transferred its single example to Novosibirsk. Uh, the airline had listed its final commercial flights with the type as flights 541 and 542 outbound and return services between Mirny and Irkutsk uh, on 18 and 20 May. It states that the flight from Mirny to Novosibirsk uh, designated 693 will uh, will take place on 22 May. We'll have to check to see if it did or not. Uh, after completing its final flight, the aircraft will be transferred to the Aviation History Museum. Oh. Uh, the TU-134 will join another Al Rosa aircraft, a TU-154M, uh, which uh, was handed to the museum located at the Tomachevo Airport in September of last year. This museum also features a TU-154, as we just said, and an Ilushin IL-86, formerly operated by S-7 Airlines. Um, yeah, and that's the end of the story. I have to go back and see if that flight actually happened and if it made it to the museum. Um, I, I had to look up this aircraft, uh, the the TU-134, and mm -hmm. see how many of them. So it looked like there were, there's still a total of about 44 left with uh, almost all of them working for different governments except for two that are flying as a airliner in North Korea. Um, so Al Rosa's was last, uh, the last Russian one. So I think that the remainder of them are all in government service. One of the first airliners that I travelled on as a child was the TU-134. It's one of my first memories of um, flying on a commercial airliner to Yugoslavia. Oh. was on a TU-134A. And, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I've still got still memories now of that mm. flight, even though it was a lot of years ago. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those Russian-built airliners that just seems to go on and on and on, you know. 
no issues. Well, not not many anyway. But moving on to the next story, which is again on Flight Global, and uh, this one is uh, Turkish Airlines. Triple uh, Seven suffers wing damage at Istanbul Airport. Now we've been talking over the last few weeks, haven't we, about this new airport mm. at Istanbul yeah. and about how big and huge and massive the airport is. Well, it's obviously not, not big, big enough. Because yeah. <laughs> a Turkish Airlines Triple Seven Three Hundred ER clipped a lighting pole at the do. new Istanbul Airport this week, causing damage to the tip of its right wing. Uh, no injuries were reported from the incident. The aircraft registered. Uh, Tango Charlie Lima Juliet Echo, which uh, Shuram's fleet's analyzer shows, is a 2016 built model owned by Turkish Airlines. The aircraft was taxiing for a flight to Ankara when uh, an incorrect directions were given by the tower or naughty tower, according to the airport authority. It was subsequently taken to a Turkish technic facility, and Istanbul Airport, uh, as we said, became. Fully operational in April after its formal opening in October so, 2018. Mean, but, and come on, I mean, some of this could be the fact that it's a new airport. You're going to get stuff out of this, surely, <laughs> like because everybody doesn't isn't quite so familiar with you know. And I, and I I include like you know ATC and ground crew and everything like that. I mean, you can you can practice and practice until you're blue in the face until it says actually in it action. says in the story incorrect directions given by the tower. But if on that picture, Matt, can you see how close the tower is to the aircraft? Uh, it is. Uh, um, hang on, I, I've lost the picture already. Uh, I was going to put it up mm. again, just so I. Could but no, it. Uh, if you uh, Matt gets the picture up, you'll see just how close uh, that aircraft was uh, to the tower, um, yeah. which actually is is fairly close. There we go. Yeah, there we go. It's uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you think the tower, you know, the tower staff would have opened the window and said, "Hi." You're going wrong way. I mean, they've got a radio. I mean, yeah. they you know, <laughs> don't need to be quite so dramatic about it. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, as I say, it's a new airport. I mean, in, in fairness to everyone, you know, it's a new airport, for goodness sake. I mean, there are going to be hiccups along the way. I'm sorry that this one is such an expensive one for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I don't suppose that one will buff out. No, no, and I'm sure insurance <laughs> details were, um, <laughs> were, you know, exchanged. were exchanged. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. So the next story, Matt, um is uh yeah it's actually just quite interesting when i saw this one this week and because it's um regarding obviously we've been talking about cargo flights and uh, this is uh freight conversion yeah so it's ain online and the headline is freighter conversion market totaled nearly one billion dollars in 2018 mm. uh, more than 80 mainline jet to passenger aircraft underwent conversion to freighters last year and the total value of the 2018 conversion market approached one billion dollars during all associated costs including all associated costs according to the uk aviation technical consultancy iba group companies converted 87 passenger jets in 2018 compared with just 75 in 2017 and 17 2016 according to iba group uh, the three widely used uh, three widely used boeing aircraft airliners uh, accounted for almost all 2018 freighter conversions including 25737-400s 23757-200s and 
yawn. Uh, and uh, <laughs> 27767-300ERs reported Jonathan McDonald, the firm's head analyst for commercial and ageing aircraft. Airbus Airline has accounted for almost for most of the rest, including the first two A330-200s from Egypt's Air fleet, and for which uh, it's own used to replace the A300-600Fs, and the first three A300-300s to undergo freighter conversion. Direct conversion costs for the 87 aircraft totaled $641.5 million. <laughs> Materials uh, costs representing around 70% of that, said IBA Group CEO Phil Seymour. The direct cost of converting a Boeing 767-300ER amounts to some $14 million wow. compared to, with $15 million for an A330-200. Uh, I won't go on because it's just loads and loads of numbers essentially. But, uh, I mean, two two things that I'd like to, to ask here. I mean, one, surely given how much we're ordering online, surely this is not that much of a surprise the fact that you know they're needing more cargo planes essentially to get the stuff that we're ordering from china and the u.s and things mm. like that over, over to these shores and the other question i wanted to open out there do you think with these a380s that uh, are sort mm. of being uh, sort of retired do you think they could see a life as as cargo planes well, that's a, that's a story. Let's, let's throw that to nev because we've heard yeah. much from him this so far hmm. It's possible, isn't it? Again, it depends on how um, successful the... I know that the A380 is out of production, but there might be aftermarket possibilities for converting some into freighters uh, if they need the capacity. So, um, yeah, that's certainly a possibility, I would say. Yeah. Armando? Um, yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing as Matt about the A380. What I would be interested in is that second deck, is it strong enough to hold any cargo? You could certainly probably loaded up with uh, packages um I, i'd be interested to see what modifications you need for for that particular aircraft but i was talking to megan before the podcast about this story um especially on the heels of the the atlas air amazon story and, and she, you know she, she was asking why why do those pilots make so so much money at fedex and ups and well think think of how mail and home delivery has changed over the last 10 years, even with with uh, the internet. And I think we're all getting used to faster and faster deliveries as evidenced by this mug, right? <laughs> Only seven days, seven days. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's well, astounding. This one, this one apparently came by boat because, you know, if it was on a freighter or craft, it, it could have been here in a couple of days. But I, I mean, that's a business that's only going to continue to grow, yeah. which is interesting because you're, you have this brand new technology that's going to rely on aircraft, uh, generally an older technology. So um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what uh, what the world of cargo aviation looks like in a couple of years. It's 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 it's, a, it's always growing. I think you know with with the whole um, do you buy a brand new freighter aircraft off the shelf or do you just you know get a second hand passenger? I don't know. I mean, the, convert. What what um, are the cost differences? I mean. Well, the cost of conversion, you said, didn't you, Matt, on the story to yeah. convert a 767 was... Anything between 14, 14 and 15. Yeah, million. 14 and 15 million. Uh, yeah, a brand new freighter jet from Boeing, uh, uh, you know, an actual freighter off yeah. the line. I mean, it's going to be more than 
fifteen thousand or well, fifteen yeah. million dollars. I, I mean, surely that. that's a cheaper way for you know. Th- it's definitely purely a cheaper way. thinking. And these are proven the platforms as well. You know, the seven fives they're still using the seven fives. I mean, DHL and the picture mm-hmm. here on the story, DHL are using the seven fives for their um, cargo fleet. Yeah. And a lot of these used to be registered in the UK. A lot of these ones in the US used to be registered in the UK and used yeah. by UK carriers such as Air Two Thousand. Some of theirs um, went across to be used as freighters. So. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a popular popular choice. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, and when you start, sorry, real okay. quick, when you, when you start talking about the the internet uh, of things across the world, now you're talking about locations. If you think about the places that a 757 can get in, um, you know, so if you take a, a freighter 75, you can fly that into some pretty short and challenging strips uh, and then leave the, the heavy work to the 777s and the A300s and the 74s. So I... I, I think that the conversions of seven threes and seven fives um, will will likely increase in the in the near future. And not forgetting as well the combis they use, don't they, Armando? In in some countries with the combi versions, which are kind of half and half freighter and uh, passenger carrying. Yeah, have. I, I've even yeah. seen uh, combi versions of uh, essentially a civilian C one thirty, so Lockheed three eighty twos that in, I think it was Evergreen Aviation and there's a couple other carriers around the world that have a roll-on uh, passenger seat pallet that they can just roll onto the aircraft. And then in the back, you can strap down vehicles. Um, really interesting, if you, if you ever watch any documentaries on the Dakar uh, races, um, the Dakar rally, and the logistics behind that is amazing because it's such an incredible fleet of aircraft in exactly the con- configuration that we're talking about. It's passenger and cargo. And they're flying into these tiny little strips in, you know, back in the day it was, it was in West Africa and now it's in South America. But if you ever get a chance to, to, to watch the, the flying aspect of the Dakar rally, it's super impressive. Google, YouTube, I think we'll have to look on those and see what's going on there. Yeah, definitely. So, Nev, the next story has a rather interesting headline. It does, and this is on the simpleflying.com, and we were just talking about the A380, and in fact, Airbus still considers the A380 a success. Um, Earlier this year, Airbus announced the end of the A380 program. Despite the aircraft not breaking even, Airbus considers the A380 as a success due to its impact on the A350. Airbus's new CEO made the comments at a Toulouse press conference uh, two days ago. Uh, the A380 is widely regarded as a marvel of aviation engineering around the globe. Due to its impressive size, it's capable of carrying hundreds of passengers between two points. However, its size would eventually prove to be the aircraft's downfall. As such, the Airbus A380, pro- A380 project never even broke even, never broke even, uh, despite its potential. Uh, the 380 was designed as a real game changer. With its two complete passenger decks, the aircraft was to transform passenger travel, and to some extent it did. In fact, the aircraft was well suited to some high-density long-haul routes, such as London to Los Angeles. The main USP of the aircraft was, however, one of its biggest problems. Take Norwegian Air as an example. Due to the grounding of the Boeing 787 aircraft, they found themselves in a position where they had to hire Highfly's A380. They initially flew their usual schedule of the aircraft, but soon found out that New York did not have space along with other 380s that it had at the time. 
the A380 giant size dictates that it needs a special infrastructure. Indeed, London's Gatwick, which uh, plays host to Emirates A380, has just one gate which the aircraft can use off of taxiway Quebec. Uh, the aircraft isn't able to taxi to any other gate. Indeed, when Airbus executives attempted to sell the A380 in India, they were met with infrastructure concerns. Uh, at a press briefing in Toulouse, uh, Airbus's CEO told reporters he believed that the Airbus A380 was a success. However, according to Liam News, uh, the reason is not what you might expect. They report that the aircraft was a success as the A380, A380 led the path to the successful development and production of the successful A350 and the transformation of Airbus into what it is today. Indeed, the A380 introduction was fairly unsettled with an 18-month delay caused by faulty wiring. Uh, but meanwhile, the A350's introduction went without a hitch. Uh, interestingly, the uh, paper also reports on a question of finances asked by Reuters Aerospace News. Uh, Airbus received launch aid from Germany to the tune of $600 million. However, this has not been paid back. The Reuters reported quest reporter questioned why, if the project had been considered a success. Reports that the Airbus did not answer, in, reports indicate that Airbus did not answer the question and Airbus will continue to support the A380 as long as it flies. Um, so I don't know, that's probably got another, what, 20 years in service, I would imagine, something like that. Mm. So it's going to make parts and what have you available. So uh, quite, a, quite a story, but um, I'm still got to uh, find a route to go on one because I've never been on one yet. What, on a 380? Mm, no. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I, I guess I just sort of assumed because uh, BA have got a couple, haven't they? Mm, they've got quite they a few, have, yeah. yes. I've been on uh, really long haul sectors with them. Oh, recently, no, fair so. point. Yeah. Yes. So, Armando, the last story for you. Yeah, I believe that it was a little bit foreshadowing. We were just talking about this. This is from one mile at a time dot com. The Boeing 737 MAX having been grounded since mid-March, uh, there, there has been a lot of questions about when the airplane will be back in the air. So um, the 737 MAX is to be certified by relevant authorities globally. Uh, that's the next step. Maybe a little bit more of a challenge than initially expected given what has come out regarding the initial certification process of the 737 MAX. It's anyone's guess if the plane will be flying once again within a week, a month, or a year. Uh, one thing is for sure, once the 737 MAX is back in the air, Boeing and airlines will have to work hard to convince passengers that the aircraft is safe to fly. Uh, let's see, I'm gonna skip back past some of the things that uh, we've already talked about. Um, skipping ahead to United CEO. So it's interesting to see how airline executives are talking about the 737 MAX. Some airlines have invested billions of dollars into these airplanes. So while we don't question that safety is their top priority, they also have a big incentive to get these in the skies as soon as possible uh, and for customers to be comfortable flying in them. Yesterday, United Airlines CEO Oscar Munoz said he plans to be on the first United Boeing 737 MAX flight once the plane is back in service. Certainly a nice gesture, goes a long way to showing his confidence in the aircraft. He said, uh, just because somebody plays it safe, uh, you as the flying public aren't just going to get on the aircraft. Um, it's an interesting quote. <laughs> I've always, yeah, right. Uh, 
I have asked in the past how airlines handle situations where passengers find themselves booked on a 737 MAX and want to rebook on another flight. Munoz says if people need any kind of adjustments, we will absolutely rebook them. And I think that's the general um, take that the rest of the airline industry has taken also. Um, we'll wait and see how that works in practice, but policies like this are vital in all airlines, flying 737 MAX. Many people are scared of flying to begin with, um, to have the most modern jet out there have two crashes in just months is perfectly valid reason to be yes. concerned. See, now, I, I do get this. I mean, as this, you know, everybody knows that I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I have a very severe fear of flying anymore, thanks to, you know, the likes of Alan Mack. You know, I'm about to get on a on a plane, obviously, on Sunday and do the same thing. And and weirdly, I, I as I said, like I said earlier in the, in the, the show, I, I, I'm weirdly okay with when... The experts have said it's okay to be back in the air because they are going to have been through that with a fine tooth comb. I mean, there's, you know, and I, I'd like to think that there won't be a single pilot who now gets in who isn't fully briefed on on what to do in certain scenarios and things mm. like that. I mean, I, I do genuinely feel like I would almost feel more comfortable being in a Max now because, you know, I think, you know, it, it, the... I don't know. I mean, I say, you know, it's unlikely that something else will go wrong. Of course, that's a silly thing to say because, you know, these, these things will happen. But it's just, I don't know. We'll I, all end up on one at some point. Well, this is it. I, you know, it's going to mm. be a bit, you know, I, you, we, we've said before, haven't we, there was an NEV. Which one? There was an airline, wasn't there, that uh, uh, there was a uh, uh, um, uh, plane that sort of crashed shortly after and then it went uh, ended up being an, one of their most successful um, was it the VC? No, what was it? There was one. That, well, it wasn't a Boeing product. It was one where they they had similar experiences where um, it all went horribly wrong. I mean, the, the DC, like we said before on the show, the DC ten mm. had its issues. DC ten, yeah, that's, that's know, what when when it first yeah. was in production and stuff, and, and they had quite some quite serious crashes. Yeah. Um, but it became to be a success for McDonnell Douglas, and you know it was again. We were talking about this earlier on the show. It became a freighter. They mm. they had them, yeah. you know, made into, and then they brought out the MD11, which was um, an up, you know, an upgraded yeah. version of the DC10, slightly better avionics mm. and stuff, and they had a good success with that. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's true. yeah I, 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 the 737 had issues. The original 737s, the 727 had issues. The Mad mm. Dog had issues. Um, I, I don't want to marginalize by any means any kind of aircraft mishap where people get hurt, but um, I am confident that this is going to be one of those things where we will look back next year or maybe the year after and say, hey, you remember when we were talking about the 737 MAX? Yeah. Um, I looked it up. There are 5,008 orders for the 737 MAX, wow. um, and uh, just about... 400 387 have been delivered so we're going to see many many of these aircraft in the air we're, like carlos said we're all going to be on one yeah. and uh, it, it will be a thing which well, we talk about even so. even i will be presumably because obviously you know one one yeah, of the bigger yeah. customers ryanair yeah. i mean they're, they're going to have several as well anyway we could go on and yeah. on and on about this story so we're just gonna so about actually you know like when we get pictures of people who those pictures people send us pictures of them watching the show oh uh, the, the people watching pictures the people yeah, watching yeah. the people yeah. watching the youtube channel thing. <laughs> yeah. uh so anyway my friend ron has just sent me a picture so ron vigo lives in vigo 
in Spain, which okay. I, I find desperately amusing. But anyway, so uh, yeah, Ron has just sent me this picture. There he is, busy watching us on. Hey. I love it when they do this. This is so cool. Very good. <laughs> so yes, Very good. cheers, Ron. Thank you for sending. Say, how cool is that? His name, his surname is Vigo, and he lives in Vigo. <laughs> no, just me. Brilliant. Just, just me, Nev. Uh, <laughs> where, where is the island of Smith? Uh, the island of Smith. Oh, now there's a there's a yeah. thought. There Google should be that. an island of Smith, definitely. So <laughs> we are going to hand things over to uh, to Nev then to uh, let us introduce or introduce us to uh, the next segment on the show. Yes, well, we were at Duxford the other day, weren't we? And uh, we got oh, lots did, more did we, did we go? content to, to play out. Yes, and we've still got some suntan uh, going on here too. Uh, but we went indoors, and of course, they've got a pre-production Concord there. And there's a fantastic team of volunteers who have put the uh, hydraulics and everything back in so that the nose and visor can be operated. So we thought we were going to have a look at that and we thought we would get uh, Mr. Adam Spink to talk us through it. And here's Matt now talking to him. Okay, exciting times. We've just come to where the Concorde is housed here at Duxford and uh, we're about to witness the nose being dropped, which I have to confess is not something I've ever seen before. I, I dare say Adam, uh, who's joined me here, uh, uh, air traffic control here, I dare say this is something you've seen quite regularly. Well, actually, technically, no. Right. Because when we would see it coming out of the terminal, taxiing out, it was already dropped. So we never saw it in transition. Um, and then obviously after it took off, it would raise the nose and it would just be gone. It would be gone. Yeah. Um, coming in, it would lower the nose before it joined the, the final approach. So was, we would see it with the nose already down and then it would park. And um, so, so, not really. So, I'm interested to, to see this as well. Now, this is not um, a, a passenger variant, is it? This was actually a research plane, is that correct? Yes, this was one of the two British prototype uh, Concorde airframes built. Um, so this one did a lot of the testing and we've been inside it today so we've seen a lot of the flight test equipment is still in there there's no passenger seats um, and this one actually as it says on the side of the aircraft it went out to uh, to Maine uh, in the USA to do cold weather testing um, as part of the, the flight test and certification of the aircraft so uh, yeah it's very interesting aircraft to go inside I bet. Now, um, I'm sure you don't mind me saying that you've been doing your job long enough to know, um, to sort of sing Concorde, obviously, in the air. Uh, were there any, because it, obviously it's supersonic aircraft, it's famous for being that, it's, it's an odd-shaped aircraft. I know you have to have different timings and things depending mm. on different aircraft. How, how, did it, um, how did this particular aircraft, Concorde, coming in to land at Heathrow, how would that uh, differ from, say, any other aircraft? The main effect on, on ATC operations at Heathrow was the speed of the aircraft coming into land. It was significantly uh, quicker than, than any other aircraft we would, we would be controlling so we had to provide extra separation ahead of it to allow for that, that speed difference. And I remember once I was, uh, I was controlling and uh, I had an aircraft to tow across the runway and with Concorde coming in and I thought oh, I've got plenty of room ahead of Concorde, I'll clear this aircraft to start towing across the runway and it was only when uh, the point was reached where this tower was going to start moving onto the runway and I thought, no, I think discretion is the better part of yeah, valour here. Absolutely. I'll tell him to hold position and, and thankfully, you know, that was the correct yeah. thing to do because I think I would have been sending Concorde around wow. uh, to do another approach if I'd continued with that plan. So the, um, 
when it comes to, to taking off then, I mean, how, how would that differ to, say, like an A320 or something? I mean, obviously speed, uh, but I mean, what sort of speed? Yeah. Are, presumably it's the same sort of speeds that you get um, with most aircraft on the runway. Uh, yes, on the runway, uh, although and a lot noisier. Yeah. And, and in the old control tower, we could certainly almost feel the vibration as well wow. when it plugged the afterburners in. Um, as soon as it took off, it would just keep accelerating to 300 knots or so. And uh, so we, again, on departure, we had to leave extra time ahead of it because it would be catching up the, the normal airliners. I know Captain Nick doesn't like me using that phrase <laughs> when I'm talking about Concorde, but the normal aircraft would be significantly slower than Concorde, so we'd, we'd have to provide extra separation ahead of it. Uh, but the differences for ATC at Heathrow actually began uh, in time about an hour and a half before the Concorde flight. Wow. So what would happen is the flight crew would get on board a lot earlier than, again, a normal flight, maybe up to an hour ahead of uh, the passengers getting on board. They would call us up on the radio and give us a time that they thought they would be ready to depart from the stand. We would then ring through to the control centre, which was at West Drayton in those days, but now at Swanwick, mm. and talk to the control sector that would be controlling high level over the Bristol Channel and over towards Ireland because we had to effectively block out an area, a three-dimensional volume of airspace right. for Concorde to climb to supersonic, accelerate through the sound barrier to supersonic and cruise climb up to um, 60,000 feet. Um, and given the fuel um, total that they had on board, they really couldn't stop. Once they started climbing, they needed to climb all the way right. up to cruising level okay. we couldn't really stop them off from no. crossing traffic once it started that was it exactly they had, they had so that's climb. why we would have to reserve this big block of airspace for it um, and as part of that we would say right Concorde's going to get everyone here then they would work out okay we need to reserve this airspace at this time and then they would work that back to give us a takeoff time that we would try and achieve wow. um, for it uh, on departure at Heathrow so we would start planning it uh, from that point. Um, and, and that's why I think some of the other airline pilots around Heathrow in those days would say that we gave it priority. Right. Because it, was, it wasn't really because it was low on fuel, it was actually because it had a, a takeoff time it had to achieve to get to this airspace at the appropriate time. Otherwise, again, all sorts yeah. of things, you know, because it's moving so fast. Essentially. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now, again, ex excuse my naivety here. So we're here, we're going to hopefully now watch the, uh, the nose being dropped. Uh, this is where my naivety really kicks in. Why, why does the Concorde have to have a nose that drops? So basically, it's all about visibility from the cockpit. Right. That's the main reason. The, the aerodynamic, the design of Concorde is such that it doesn't really like flying at low speed. Okay. The wing, the fuselage is all designed for supersonic flight. So when it's flying low, the aircraft has to be very nose high to, to achieve the required amount of lift from the wing. Uh, so the, We call it the angle of attack of the wing. So the aircraft is flying along very nose high, whether it's coming into land or even climbing up. But you know, below 300 knots. So to enable the flight crew to see out of the window, the idea was, the design was, the nose would drop down to give them a view ahead and slightly below of the aircraft. So when it was taxiing out and taking off, the nose would drop to five degrees down, uh, which was enough to allow the flight crew to taxi around and, and not go off into the grass. And then when it was coming into land, again, even more nose high, it would drop to its full uh, drop of 12 and a half degrees. And when it was coming in, that even that amount of drop wasn't quite enough. 
So if you actually go into the cockpit of, of Concorde, there's a cutout above the uh, the two pilot seats. They would raise their seat up like you do in the car, yeah. up as high as possible, and and then their head would be in this in this sort of cutout in the roof of the cockpit, almost at an angle to enable them to see over the nose to, to land the aircraft. Um, so I know there's some videos on YouTube, I think, of, of cockpit recordings of Concorde coming into land, yeah. but you'll see the, the, the pilot, whoever's landing, right is, is right up yeah. there. Their head is against the, the top of the cockpit uh, roof. Uh, so, uh, so basically, it was all about visibility from the cockpit. Right, okay. I mean, and presumably the shape of the aircraft was essentially so it could uh, achieve these speeds. So it was all about aerodynamics. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was Mach 2 aircraft. It, it is almost the quintessential paper dart. You know, you fold up a piece of paper to, to throw a paper aeroplane. That's almost the shape of Concorde, just very streamlined. And, uh, and the, the, the control system and the aerodynamics is all geared to be efficient at supersonic speeds. I mean, this, this can fly supersonic without afterburner, which is where they, you know, the massive flames are yep. coming out the back of the engines. Whereas still mo today, most military aircraft still need afterburner to fly in fly supersonic, but Concorde could do it for hours and hours just without it. Without, without yeah. thing. So th this is the I-74. You were saying that, uh, that this is uh, uh, gathering data. So, so what, what, what data was it gathering uh, during, during its time? Uh, so, so specifically this one when it went to, to Maine in the, in the USA was, was looking at how the airframe reacted to icing. Okay. So actually you can see on the leading edge of the left hand wing there's a load of there's black markings with, with different panels and they would see how and fly again when they're flying they would be flying into icing conditions discovering how the airframe reacted to ice build up on the wings okay. uh, and this, this marking on the front of the, the wing was being recorded by a camera that's just beneath the, the door, looking back at the leading edge of the wing, so they could identify which part of the wing would be accreting the ice, right. uh, just to see how that affected the flying uh, characteristics. And even it's just leaving an aircraft out overnight in freezing conditions, come to it the next day and see if they can use it, you know, yeah. if, if the tyres, the hydraulic systems react okay to those cold temperatures. Uh, so, and, you know, up at 60,000 feet or so, the, this airframe, Concorde, has to go through dramatic temperature changes. You know, it could be the, the friction of the skin would be so much that the air the airframe would heat up. And I'm sure you, you've heard and the listeners have heard that, that, that Concorde would grow in length really? by about a foot really? when it was supersonic because it would heat up. So there's not this one, but the one at Filton, the Concorde there, which was uh, one of British Airways' uh, regular Concorde uh, aircraft, on its last supersonic flight, um, there used to be a gap open up in the bulkhead between the cockpit and the passenger cabin. The captain put his captain's cap in that gap, and then when it descended, cooled down, the airframe contracted. So there's still a, a British Airways captain's wow. cap in <laughs> ensconced in the Concorde airframe that now you cannot get you to cannot get unless to you rip the aircraft apart because <laughs> the aircraft contracts when it cools down. Fantastic. So I mean, it's it's a beautiful aircraft. Mm, I mean, mm. so many people when we've interviewed them saying, you know, which which ever aircraft they would love to have a go at flying at, which yeah. one would yeah. it be? Uh, so many people say mm. that. I mean, why do you think it's got such a, uh, a, a everybody's got such a love for it? I, I mean, I don't I don't know. It's just one of those indefinable things. I think. Um, I mean, presumably from an ATC point of view, it was a bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was. Uh, 
because it, you, it essentially because you had to clear so much airspace yes, for it yeah. to, to go about it, its business it did safely. Create, yeah. create more workload than any other single aircraft that we would handle. Um, but again, it, it was one of those aircraft that really we would all look and watch it take off. Get so I mean, excited. These very cynical air traffic controllers in Heathrow Tower, you know, we've seen everything. But we would all watch Concorde take off. Yeah, and we would absolutely. all watch Concorde land. Yeah. Um, so it was, a, yeah, it was a very special aircraft. And, and I, yeah, I do regret the fact I never got to fly on it. I always, I always say to people, I was in the cockpit while it was moving, um, but that was while it was being towed from a hangar to the terminal um, on the back of it. You know, to fame. That's my claim to fame. Uh, yeah. So, um, is there, is there uh, an aircraft, I don't think we've ever actually asked you this, is if, if you could sort of be on an aircraft that is re retired, I mean, it, would it be Concorde would be the ultimate dream for you? In terms of civilian aircraft, yes, I, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, just looking at it now, the, the windows are so small, the fuselage is so cramped compared to, to most modern airliners now that, that the actual experience is exquisite food. Um, but but the actual aircraft is actually compromised from a passenger point of view. But just to just to see that, you know, Mac meter that's on the front of the bulkhead tick over to two point zero zero. I mean, it's such um, an see icon the curvature of the earth and all yeah. that, all that, that would yeah. be amazing. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, Adam, thank you very much for your time. No problem at all. Thank you, Matt. Now, I think we all missed our chance to um, go on board to Concorde, really, didn't we? And it's still nice, though. I've got, I actually back at home. I think I've said before on the show, I've got at home in the actually in the kitchen drawer a uh, Concorde notepad and pen that was given to me by Gemma's mum and dad. Wow, as you do. Um, <laughs> which is still unused and in pristine condition. Well, I, of course I, it is, I may it's well, you. <laughs> I may well have to move that to the, the loft uh, just to protect it from uh, being, you know, getting but, damaged or but used. But are you not tempted to just use it? Because no! Of... <laughs> I could or, or give it to a museum. <laughs> No, it's stuff like that. Uh, it'll only increase in value, I hope. Right. It'll be something to hand down to my nephews. There we go. Right, okay, who will look at you with the same <laughs> level of disdain yeah. I'm giving you now, no doubt. But, uh, I mean, there is, as Adam alluded to there, I mean, the, the, so many people, when we ask, you know, what what plane they'd love to have either flown or been a passenger in all that kind of thing i mean there's so much love for the concorde even yeah. after all this time i mean i mean it's not been in the air for how long now nev 2003 it was taken out of service wasn't it yes yeah. november 2003 mm. which is a and the, liz is saying like in the chat room here my parents flew on concorde nev you've been on concorde i know from when we were talking before yeah yeah when i was very young my, my first ever flight when I was I really was 14 or 15 years old, yeah, and it's been yeah. downhill from there on in. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And uh, the 737 200 from Luton that I flew on after that wasn't right, it was quite <laughs> slightly <laughs> disappointing. Yeah, yes. those JT8Ds, not quite the same as those uh, Rolls Royce Olympus engines, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Tony's just saying in the chat room here. Actually, I can't believe it's been replaced yet. But I, I, I mean, we again, we've we've had chats about this before. It's just like I mean, I'm surprised the business sec, you know, the bizjet sector hasn't got a. Uh, yeah, something that that a uh, supersonic sort of a aircraft. Supersonic yeah. aircraft. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've always said this. I never really understood why it was taken out of service when there wasn't a direct Politics. replacement. Oh, 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 was it? Yeah, mm. I think so. Anyway, right. Yeah. Mm. So we're going to uh, hand things over then next uh, to Armando, because as always this week, Armando has provided us with our 
hit of military news. So over to you. All right. Thanks, uh, Carlos. Yeah, we'll try to get through it quick since we're running a little bit late and uh, we definitely want to get to uh, a highlight of military, which is Captain Nick's retirement. Um, <laughs> so if you're ready, Matt, let's uh, kick it off. Here yeah. we go. So this first story is very special. It is from the New York Times, uh, and it's about the tax over Normandy. So 75 years after D-Day, planes fly off for never-before-seen World War II commemoration. Uh, the historic aircraft are part of the D-Day squadron that left Sunday for a week-long transatlantic flight in preparation for the commemoration of the 75th anniversary of D-Day. So we talk about Dave Hamilton. His most notable flight was 75 years ago when he was just 21 years old. It was just after midnight on D-Day. He was carrying 18 Allied paratroopers to the area behind Omaha Beach. The sky was full of planes that night as a young pilot encountered gunfire and nearly collided with a church before making his way back to England. I don't know a lot, and boy, I learned in a hurry. I can tell you that, said Mr. Hamilton, who grew up in Tuxedo, New York. Mr. Hamilton is now 96 years old and lives in Prescott, Arizona. Uh, back in a World War, U World War II troop carrier on Saturday, this time flying as a passenger in a formation flight over New York City with more than a dozen warbirds. The planes roared down the Hudson River and around the Statue of Liberty before returning uh, for the night to Waterbury, Oxford Airport in Connecticut. The attention-getting display was the final practice run for owners of the historic aircraft who left Sunday to fly to Europe together as the D-Day squadron. The Douglas DC-3 aircraft and C-47 Dakota transports are headed on a week-long transatlantic flight culminating on June 5th when the pilots will meet up with a dozen European Dakotas and together cross the English Channel to Normandy for the ceremony commemorating the June 6, 1944 military landing. The planes will stop for fuel in Newfoundland, Greenland, Iceland, Scotland, and England, retracing the route used when the planes were brought to the European theater during World War II. Saturday's display was just a fraction of the size of the aerial armada on D-Day, when more than 800 Dakotas and other aircraft filled the sky. Standing beside one of the restored twin-engine Dakotas at Waterbury Oxford Airport, Mr. Hamilton was wearing khaki pants, a military cap, and an Eisenhower jacket that displayed his many medals. He held a cane that seemed as much for swagger as it was for support. He laughed at the suggestion that he was an object of living history, asking, am I a symbol? During the war, Mr. Hamilton was trained in England as a pathfinder, a designation for specially trained paratroopers and their pilots. Mr. Hamilton made a few practice jumps before commanding the flight that delivered his fellow Pathfinders to the battlefield, his plane, one of the first in France on D-Day, was hit by gunfire. They put about 200 holes in my airplane and they didn't break a cable. They didn't hit anybody, he said. Uh, the planes are in the D-Day squadron, some of which started as DC-3 airliners and the military converted to troop carriers. All of the aircraft are owned by nonprofit organizations or individuals. 
The total cost of the voyage is estimated to be about $3 million U.S. dollars, including fuel costs of about $2 million U.S. dollars. Um, there you go. And I was looking to see their progress on a different website, and I believe that's all Brother um, has made it to Coventry. So it's getting some repairs done. You can follow them on their, uh, their Facebook page. And uh, if I am correct, I believe they're all going to meet up at Duxford and there will be flights available um, from it's 2 to 5 June at Duxford. Yeah. And, and I believe uh, 5 to 9 June in um, Cayenne in France, there'll be uh, flights available if you want to catch. Uh, I know personally having flown and you guys have obviously flown in, in uh, East Anglia, I think taking off off from Duxford in a C-47 to go over the coast and, uh, you know, see Cambridge and, 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 uh, a lot of those eighth air force airfields, I, I think would be an amazing opportunity if you get a chance to do it. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think you can find more information over at daxovernormandy.com. Definitely not. It's in my top 10 of to-do lists and aviation is to, to, uh, to fly on a DC three. Mm. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So the next story is on the airforcetimes.com website. And I saw this earlier on in the week, Armando, actually, and saw the YouTube videos as well, because there were some quite good videos of this. And uh, the headline, F-16 fighter crashes into California warehouse, a pilot ejects. So Riverside, California, this is a F-16 fighter jet crashed on Thursday into a warehouse just outside March Air Reserve Base in California, sending a dozen people to hospitals for evaluation after they were exposed to debris, authorities said. The pilot ejected and parachuted safely, said Major Perry Covington, the base's director of public affairs. The cause of the crash is under investigation. Interstate 215, which runs between the base and warehouse, was closed in both directions, backing up rush hour traffic for miles. Television news showed a large hole in the roof and sprinklers on inside the building around 65 miles or 105 kilometers east of Los Angeles. Cell phone photos and video from inside showed what appeared to be the tail of the plane buried in twisted metal and piles of cardboard boxes. Daniel Galegos, a warehouse worker, said that he's used to hearing the sound of planes coming and going, but the noises just before the crash were deafening. He said that next thing he knew, he just heard the explosion and turned around to the back of the building and saw a burst of flames and the ceiling started falling through every part of the building, he told uh, ABC TV. He turned around and his co-worker just told me to get out, so I made a run for it. Galegos said he believed one of his co-workers was struck by something, possibly a falling uh, fire sprinkler, but wasn't seriously hurt. A dozen people were hosed down and taken to hospitals, but there were no major injuries, State Fire Captain Fernando Herrera said. Uh, the crash also caused a small fire diced by the warehouse's sprinkler system, he said. Uh, the crash happened as the pilot was landing following a routine training mission. Uh, March Air Reserve Base Deputy Fire Chief Timothy Holliday said. Uh, the pilot was having hydraulic problems, he said, and started losing control of the aircraft. The jet's cockpit canopy was on the runway and the parachute had settled in a nearby field. Damage to the warehouse was relatively minor and there were no major fires, which Holiday called a miracle. The pilot, the only person on board, was taken to hospital for after examination, officials said. 
and the F-16 assigned to the Air National Guard was carrying standard armaments, he said, and it will be recovered once authorities make sure the weapons did not pose a risk, he said. The base is home to the Air Force Reserve Command, 4th Air Force Headquarters and various units of the Army Reserve, Navy Reserve, Marine Corps Reserve, California Air National Guard and the California Army National Guard. The pilot is from the 144th Fighter Wing, an Air National Guard unit based in Fresno, and the F-16 belongs to the South Dakota Air National Guard in Sioux Falls. Now, judging by the photo there, which yes. um, looks a bit of a mess in that warehouse. It, it, it does, yes. I, 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 I wouldn't want to go into that on Monday morning. No, no, you'd um, be a bit cross. To, well. to tie it up. But, uh, but obviously... <laughs> In all seriousness, it's, it's good that obviously the pilot did. Yeah, uh, no, nobody was seriously hurt injuries, either, yeah. which I think yeah. is, is, is incredible. Yeah, I think this yeah. probably came down fairly slow speeds, Armando, by judging by the. Yeah, it's a, it's almost a cartoonish, perfectly F sixteen shaped hole in the ceiling of that warehouse, and um, the lack of a big fire. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. Um, way to uh, it's interesting the way that air, the airplane landed like that and it's almost an eerie picture there on, on Twitter from that gentleman mm. um, and Nelson in the chat room beat me to it actually the, the F-16 and some other aircraft have some very hazardous materials in them um, including hydrazine which uh, anybody that's working on these aircraft have to wear special protective gear um, so like you're saying, I don't think anybody's going to be going into that part of the warehouse until it gets, uh, you know, declared safe by the emergency management mm. authorities. But I'm glad nobody got hurt. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 the the, the positive you can take out of this story. Um, anyway, on to the next. Uh, Full one. of hot air. This story um, for you, Matt. <laughs> right. <laughs> My apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Popular Mechanics is the website, and the headline is, Could Airships Really Revolutionise the US Navy? Forget the Hindenburg, today's airships don't burn, and could defend the fleet with radars and missiles. Here's a radical idea. The US Navy should embrace airships to supplement its battle fleets. Nearly a 100 years after the Navy tinkered with uh, airships, a new proposal has emerged that uh, would see helium-powered airships carry cargo, act as flying sensor platforms, and even uh, carry boxes of missiles to augment the firepower of surface ships. The idea is put forward in the latest issue of Proceedings, uh, the uh, journal of the US Naval Institute. The article entitled Airships, Yes Really, claims that lighter-than-air craft have the potential to perform military logistics, command and control and surveillance uh, and reconnaissance. In the 1920s and 30s, the US Navy experimented with the concept of airships as scouts for fleets at sea. The Navy's surface force still relied on battleships to provide the decisive arm in naval combat and the fleet that engaged first could uh, well be victorious. The service 
purchased and manned several airships, including two, the U.S. Macon, the USS Macon, and the USS Akron. Uh, it does sound very much like something at Star Trek when they use acronyms <laughs> like that. Uh, that could launch and recover up to five scout aircraft each. A series of accidents, including the loss of both airship carriers, ended the airship experiment. But some 90 years later, the technology has very much changed. Airships... Uh, the article claims are ready to make a comeback thanks to mature technologies and the capabilities they bring to the table. Airships are no longer filled with hydrogen, instead filled with non-flammable helium and are actually more difficult to shoot down than one might think. Here's Lockheed Martin's experimental P-791 uh, yeah. airship. Armando played the video. He did, yes, yeah. absolutely. So the, the article's proposed... I'm officially redundant, aren't I? The article proposes <laughs> several potential uses for airships. One important role, a radar picket for the rest of the fleet. Outfitted with a modern, active, electronically scanned array radar, an airship could see... Uh, could see beyond the horizon of ship-based radars detecting sea-skimming missiles at far greater ranges. An airship could fly above a fleet for days and weeks, whereas an aircraft would see would need to land after several hours, uh, even with mid-air refueling. I won't go on. Obviously, you get you get the the gist of this story. But uh, I mean, the technologies. I mean, is it? Um, there, there's a there's a locally to to us, isn't there? There's. Uh, um, I think is it Cambridgeshire somewhere? They're they're doing some testing of. Oh, is that the uh, flying bum? Yeah, the the big the big sort of thing. Mm. The, the, not not got off to a great start, did it? it no. They sort of crashed it on its first yeah. flight and and things. But uh, I mean, it does seem to be a technology that people are willing to sort of e experiment a bit with. The uh, the one thing that concerns me a little bit though is, aren't we running out of helium? <laughs> uh, no, no. Genuinely, uh, is, isn't there isn't there an issue with with it's being used up far too much at kids' parties? Well, there is that. <laughs> Absolutely. When the, the mums I, and dads are sucking the stuff out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I don't know if we were talking about it last <laughs> week or it's, it's, we were talking about it recently. Yeah, there is a shortage of helium somewhere, but I'm sure the military can probably get their hands on some. Oh, I dare say. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Cardington. Andy Wilson is saying, "I saw that thing crash." Yeah. Mm. Mm. Are you a lover of uh, the airship, Mister Bones? Not really. <clears throat> I just don't. I don't know. It just doesn't look or feel right to me. But um, <laughs> it doesn't go fast enough for my liking. For, for right. Start. Okay. Um, but uh, yes. Um, no. Not not a big fan. Yeah, I, I'd give it a go. I have to be. Honest. I'd love to, because oh, presumably yeah. it's by definition incredibly quiet. Mm. Yeah, mm. environmentally friendly as well. Yeah, that's, well, that's what it's all steady, about these days. Steady. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so Nev, next story. Yes, it's on the Flight Global oh. with the lovely Futura font. Something like that. Um, this is uh, talks about the lack of situational awareness has been blamed for the RAF's uh, C-130J write-off. UK military investigators have attributed a 2017 incident in which a Lockheed Martin C-130J operated by the RAF's 47th Squadron was written off to the flight crew's lack of situational awareness as they attempted to land on a temporary strip in darkness. However, the Defence Safety Authority notes that a variety of interlinked factors compounded this lack of situational awareness, making the accident more likely. 
the turboprop airlifter was subjected to a 4.2G impact as it landed short of the runway on the upward sloping ground, sustaining damage to its fuselage. Flying in support of Operation Shader, the UK's contribution to the fight against Islamic State, the C-130J was performing on a routine resupply mission from RAF Akrotiri in Cyprus to a temporary landing zone in northern Iraq, on the 25th of August 2017. Having acquired the touchdown box at the um, uh, temporary landing zone, a 150-metre long area marked with infrared lights to indicate the start of the runway, the crew began their approach at around three nautical miles. After a largely uneventful initial approach, approach, uh, both pilots, wearing night vision goggles, struggled to discern the semi-prepared strip during the latter stages of the landing. They described it as very dark with very little visual acuity and the pilot said that the touchdown box area appeared to be floating with minimal ground definition. A pre-flight meteorological meteorological briefing appeared to overestimate the amount of light that would be available at the landing strip, the report notes. Uh, Confusing operational doctrine over the lighting configuration for tactical missions as well as potentially degraded or inoperable infrared taxi and landing lights on the aircraft compounded the issue. There were sufficient uh, visual references to judge a flare and to make a safe landing, and the crew have sh- should have instead performed, performed a go-around, said the DSA. As a result of the poor elimination, the crew were unable to discern precisely where the runway began. Both pilots stated in the interview that as the co-pilot called 20 feet altitude, the ground appeared to rise up at the aircraft, and the aircraft made a heavy contact short of the touchdown box. It's quite a long report there, but you can see there's some stuff going on and uh, as we all know you can always go around <laughs> well yes that is true yeah <laughs> did you uh, did you remember hearing about this one in the news armando i do yeah when, mm. and especially being on a on a base that operated the c-130j uh, also you know we we were sort of looking at this incident um and uh, it, it is incredibly difficult right so i think most military aviators have done some night vision goggle work, uh, many of which have gone into unimproved airstrips. Um, so it's it's difficult to do into an unimproved airstrip, a gravel, dirt, or grass. Uh, even more so in the desert, um, there's very little contrast between where you're trying to land and the uh, surrounding area. And sometimes you're just shooting for uh, a few lights that a ground controller has placed out there essentially marking the touchdown box if you think about a commercial airline or, or a standard runway they're just marking out a, maybe you know five six hundred feet of a box and it it's uh, it can be very disorienting when there's nothing there's no horizon there's no contrast between the runway and the terrain and you're just shooting at these four dots um, so you're trying to use the aircraft automation to help you but even then, sometimes you you get it get it wrong, and uh, yeah, you can always go around. But sometimes you don't even know, you, you don't realize that something is off until the very very last minute. Um, so no. it's uh, I, I'm interested to see what the final report says on this one. There's always something to be learned um, from from a mishap like this and a technique that can be improved i nearly got it wrong this week matt whilst driving the lorry <laughs> wow okay. because of because of some of armando's friends 
Oh, I see. Were they busy doing some sorties in your area, were they? Well, yes, I was <laughs> he- heading heading back to, to the local area, and uh, a couple of ospreys... You were distracted. A couple of you? ospreys decided to fly very low over over where I was driving, and um, I'm, all I'm going to say is I'm glad the lorry's got cruise control, because... <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, we that's... had one hand with, a, with a, your camera phone and the other hand with your camera <laughs> driving with your knee. No, I didn't take pictures. It was just very distracting to see them flying over in quite what was quite close formation, actually. I thought oh. I might do it. No. Oh, there we are. So that is where we bring the military segment to a close. But we're going to hand things over to uh, Nev again to introduce a very special segment on the show. Thanks, Carlos. Well, you'll know that uh, our friend uh, aviator, Captain Nick, uh, has retired from flying slightly earlier than he had planned to. And we had all sorts of great ideas about can we get on his last flight, but uh, just as well we didn't because he didn't fly his last flight when we thought he would. Um, so we prepared for him with some help of many of his friends uh, a bit of a secret lunch uh, for his retirement. So we start our journey down at Heathrow Airport. Hi everybody, it's Nev here from the Plane Talking UK podcast and I'm at the Renaissance Hotel in London, very near Heathrow Airport. Look who I've got next to me, it's Liz Piper. Hi Liz. Hi Nev. What on earth are you doing here? Well, I was driving past the airport in Toronto on Friday and I ended up on a plane. Wow. And here I am. (laughs) Fantastic. So what are we going to do today? Well, I heard there was some kind of event going on. maybe in honor of Captain Nick. Mm. So we're going to go down and uh, see what that's all about. Very cool. Well, we've got a video crew over at uh, the pub in Petersfield where we're going to. So uh, let's hand over to you, Matt. Yes, thanks, Nev. Hi. Yes, we are live here at the uh, Trooper Inn. We're uh, in a little place called Froxfield, um, just off the A3. So uh, absolutely beautiful village, beautiful. We've been really lucky with the weather, uh, really sunny. Um, so really can't wait. Nick's due uh, probably in about ooh, about an hour's time, something like that. So we're very much looking forward to the big surprise on his face. Surprise! Liz, what are you doing here? Oh, hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. What are you doing here? I don't know. I just found my way here. Hi, Nick. Hi, friend. Oh, good to see you. Matt. Hi, Brian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's creepy, mate. Hello, Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm very good. So, did you have any idea at all? Not really. No. 
Oh, I did actually keep someone going, peeking around the corner a moment ago. So that gave me a clue. I thought, that's very odd behaviour for the average Especially around these parts, you know. Exactly right, yes. Oh, isn't this brilliant? Aren't you nice? Thank you very much. Um, I don't know quite what to say. Stop recording. I'm just going to show you a traditional RF thing. Dearly beloved, <laughs> we are gathered here today to celebrate the end of a remarkable aviation career. Young Nick, <laughs> Captain Nick, Squadron Leader Nick, Glider Pilot Nick. Just to put it in context first, I'd just like to say that Nick has been a bit like a bad penny or a bad smell. He's recurred throughout my life at various crises points, just so that you know why Lou, Valerie and I are sitting here. Um, I first met Nick on a parade ground at RAF Henlow. He was on Yellow Squadron, and the good guys were on Blue Squadron. What squadron were you on? Blue Squadron. <laughs> Naturally. Oh, I fell into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Shut up, drink more red one. Um, prior to that, Nick had been in the Air Training Corps, and he'd got his Silver Sea flying Sedberg gliders, swapping cockpits with people mid-flight just for fun in tandem, or was it side by side? Um, so he was a bit of a reprobate before we met him. And then the good guys met him when we got to RAF North Luffenham for our aeromedical training. And there was this yellow squadron guy who was coming on our flying course, our flying course to be four course. And uh, Nick... Um, and I sort of bonded during four course. He drove a motorbike for a start, which helped. Um, the only problem was he was a bit of an antisocial person because at weekends he used to go off to see his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> who, where is she down there? Um, she was, I think she was a, a teacher at Teacher Training College down in Winchester or somewhere where I had no idea where that was. And we survived, we survived Dick Maysfield and everything that the RAF could throw us at four course, Linton or RAF Linton on ooze, Jet Provost Mark 3s, Jet Provost Mark 5s. And I think we started with about 20 and we ended up with 10. And of the 10, there are still seven alive. Um, so, and I did invite the other um, five, but they said not bloody lightly. <laughs> uh, so, um, after that, we had a break between basic jet training on Jet Provost and going to advanced flying training school. Um, the last thing I needed right then was a girlfriend because I'd nearly fallen out of the course on basic training. And we had about a couple of months off, and Nick rings me up one, uh, I think it was an Easter holiday or a May Day holiday. He says, hey, now, do you want to meet for a beer at the Bear Green uh, pub? Was it King's Head on the A24, I think? <laughs> and I said, sure, mate. Yeah, because it's sort of halfway between Guildford and where I was staying with my mum. 
And he says, well, I'll bring Jilly. And I think he was still engaged at that point. I said, sure. And Jilly's bringing a friend. So that was the first number one marker in my life. Here we are, <laughs> 42 years later or whatever. So Nick introduced me to my wife-to-be. Thank you, Nick, for that. That was Julie's fault. Don't forget that <laughs> these two were at Teacher Training College together. Uh, and I found out where Winchester was. <laughs> um, then we went to through flying training, um, and then we went down to Haverford West. Um, I think we both got married somewhere along the way. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it didn't take long in those days, is it? 22-year-old, well, being married 11, um, going out 11 months, let's get married for the rest of our lives, right? <laughs> Seems to work. And uh, so then we're down in Haverford West. There is a tactical weapons unit where you learn to kill people. Up until that point, you've been tr learning how to try and stay alive. And uh, Nick wasn't very good at dropping bombs, but he's very good at shooting bullets at other aeroplanes. So he <laughs> went off to... Air Defenders. Actually, the real reason was because he kept getting lost around Wales. Uh, and, That's true. And, That's the real reason. and they said, you need a navigator in the yeah. back seat, mate. Best, best we give you a navigator. <laughs> so they gave him a navigator. We went our ways, he went his way, and about three years later, we'd both been kicked off our first squadron thinking, we're cool. <laughs> and we end up going to RAF Leeming and meeting to become flying instructors. We were both a bit disgruntled about that, and that's where we met Dave, DL, down there. Um, and we went off to flying training school, and Nick and I went through the course together, and we're now trying to be responsible pilots, showing people how to fly aeroplanes. And so, Valley being Valley at RF Anglesey, tend to get a bit fogged out, and the weather was poor. And so Nick came up with this bright idea, let's go to Lucas. I've got mates up at Lucas, and we can have a barrel of beer. So we somehow persuaded the flight commander to send us off to Lucas. We were going to practice something on the way there, have a couple of beers, practice something on the way back. And uh, so we were super keen to be leaving all this behind. So we jump in the aeroplane, whole row of Hawk aeroplanes, we walk out, he goes around the left side, I go around the right side, we jump in the aeroplane, whiz off, land at Lucas at the other end, and now we're really in beer mode. Let's go get a beer. <laughs> and uh, I say, OK, Nick, check the fatigue meters. He goes in the nose of your being, and goes, 127,336. No, 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 that doesn't work. And then we realised we'd come in the wrong aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, Nick bravely rang up the flight commander and we turned around and he you orders... You say, wait till the end of the weekend, didn't you? I did. And I did, did I listen to you? No. No. <laughs> so he rang up Dave Nelson. Dave Nelson said, yeah, we know. Get your ass back here. So we, <laughs> so we got straight in the aeroplane. No beer. No beer. <laughs> we, did not, we did not get 200 pounds. We did not. Wrong way Ferguson didn't. Do, well, it was wrong plane. <laughs> and I was going to give him absolute... Well, it's all your fault, Nick. But I did look in my logbook and I was the captain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then later on, I decided to go parachuting, and Nick um, is the second person to be by my bedside when I wake up. And I think, okay, Nick, thank you very much for being here when I've ejected from an aeroplane. And then I eventually go out of the Air Force, and I go to Hong Kong, 
and uh, I get fired by my uh, airline for the first time, I might add. And uh, then I, and guess who's there when I get fired? Nick. <laughs> so I was just, I just had a line, and Nigel says, uh, he ordered some news, but they've just fired me. <laughs> so I can safely say that if you want a good friend, Nick's a good friend, but he makes your life a lot more exciting. Nick, now after his shaky start, climbing from cockpit to cockpit on the Sedberg or whatever it was in, in a glider, um, he has amassed about 20,000 hours, and he doesn't know how many because he lost his logbook because he's not digitally competent and his navigator <laughs> didn't tell him how to do it. Um, Nick's got about 20,000 hours. Um, he, I have to give him a lot of kudos because he doesn't have one hour on a Boeing. He might have flown McDonnell Douglas, um, but he never flew a Boeing. And uh, that, so that's his claim to fame, or one of his claims to fame. Fortunately, having kept in touch with him, I've learned that he's a pretty good raconteur, which is how you guys have got to know him, I think. And at this point, I'm handing the raconteur over to Nick to do a shorter speech than I've done, I hope. I, I have to start by thanking you all for making the great effort to come and join me. This was very unexpected and a real pleasure to see you all. Um, Liz flew all the way from Toronto. I can't believe it. Thank you very much, Liz. It's my pleasure. Um, Dave uh, and Fee, I haven't seen them, uh, you know, for years. Oh, yeah. And that was such a surprise. We've got air traffic from Heathrow, who I thought were very brave to come, Graham and Adam. Um, uh, and because, you know, I have rarely had a good word to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <air traffic>. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, to be absolutely fair, they always give as good as they get. Uh, we've got friends from PTUK, and you guys are wonderful. We love you. got my two sons here. Hey, hi, boys. Thanks so much. And my darling wife, who has sat beside me through thick and thin for how many years now? Oh, only about 44. 44 years. Okay. That's not bad. Oh, 45. Oh, 45 now. Okay, that's good. I was 20 when I met you, I suppose, so yeah. No, it's 44. So, 45 years of flying, well, actually, professional flying, 48 years, I guess, since I did my first solo. And it's all come to a grinding halt. But. It's made all the better because I have made some wonderful friends in the aviation community and uh, I will be able to live vicariously through them and through all the other friends I have. And I will have had my interest and uh, my love of aviation renewed through uh, APG uh, and through my friends in PTUK. And uh, I know Pip isn't here, but he's another great friend who does another podcast and um, it's made me you know, start enjoying the whole aviation scene again when it was getting to the point after so many years that it had become a bit stale in my mind but that's not there anymore. Now it's, uh, it's lovely to meet friends and uh, talk about old uh, times and uh, you know spread the word that uh, we're a great community and it's lovely to stick together. Amen. So thank you very much indeed. Lots of us have all come together to um, 
come up with a little gift that hopefully Jilly will permit you to possibly mount on your wall. Downstairs toilet. Well, okay. <coughs> so uh, it's behind this tablecloth. Okay. And this is just the token of all of our appreciation, all of the community's appreciation for everything you've, that you've done and entertained us and informed us. So hopefully this provides a memento of your 48 years, you said? Okay. Please. Well, thank you very it's, much. It's uh, slightly you delicate. couldn't find a, tea, a clean well, table. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's for the Boeing pilots. Oh, my God. So hopefully you, you might notice it's uh, a specific aircraft as well. Uh, that's Foxtrot. That was um, that was the airplane that and the Phantom that had my um, own name on it. Mm. And that's uh, F-18. Oh, there you go. So that's beautiful. Who made this? Uh, it's um, the guy who that mug that you that I gave you last year, mm -hmm. um, Jim Walker Spider. That was he. He does this. Well, so we all, we all commissioned him to create these uh, these pieces for you. Oh, that is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. No problem at all. Very kind. Very My pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. It's absolutely fabulous. And that was one I mean, heck of a gift. What can you say? What can you say? Yeah. Um... Yes, now obviously uh, regular listeners to APG will know obviously that uh, that was played uh, on uh, there this week, but um, we thought we'd share with you the video that went with it as well. Yeah, yeah it was very nice. It was a lovely day. It was really nice. And um, as we said, it was great to uh, obviously to have uh, Auntie Liz fly over as well and um, see, you know, see Liz. Yeah, absolutely. Nev, thank you so very much for all your hard work as always when it comes to these things. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, and the weather was nice too. And uh, I think we surprised the young man, didn't we? So uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's genuinely the first time I've ever known him to be actually speechless. Uh, he he, <laughs> he was literally had no words to say. But uh, I felt very—I have to say—and I'm sure I speak for everybody in this room—that I felt very honoured to have been asked to to attend. And it was—it was oh, it was, it was so lovely. And then we all went back to uh, uh, Nick, Nick and yeah. Dilly's just just for coffee and scones. How how more, how more English can you get than that <laughs> to go back to back for 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 scones and stuff and what, I mean Auntie Liz wow wow just to to fly over there it just just brilliant it was just such a lovely day wasn't it anything anything else you'd like to add Neff no and uh, I think that yeah Liz's attendance was absolutely marvellous and uh, I know how much uh, Nick and Julie appreciated it yeah. and um, what you didn't know but I think I can probably reveal now is that at nine o'clock in the morning uh, Nigel thought that Jilly had organised <laughs> oh, yeah. the food and Jilly had thought that oh, Nigel had organised the food so <laughs> the, the, the idea was to have some sort of buffet, buffet kind of yes. thing um, but that didn't happen so Nigel went tearing down to the pub uh, first thing when, even before they opened said we've yeah. got a slight problem here yeah. could you accommodate Help. about yeah. um, 20 people for lunch and they could yeah. uh, so that yeah. was just as well but uh, yes that was all a bit, all a bit difficult but yeah. uh, it, it was uh, no harm done it all worked out yeah. And if you're ever in the uh, Froxfield area, yeah. I can say that was a very nice Sunday yeah. roast. I yeah. had what was beef. the name of the pub again, yeah. um, Nev? 
the trooper. Oh, I wish you had the trooper in. Yeah, trooper, trooper in. in. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was really good. Uh, yes. So uh, listen on that vein. Before we uh, move on, uh, we do have a little bit of audio feedback that was sent to us uh, this week. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll play that now. Is it sort of a little bit on the same vine of what uh, vein as what uh, we were listening to with Nick there? Hi guys, just thought to give you a bit of voice feedback regarding a decision I've made relatively recently. It all started um, when I took a trip down to Shoreham, and I've always assumed that East Midlands is so much more convenient from where I live. It's about 35 minutes. But I realised that I was in Luton within 45 and Gatwick in less than an hour and a half and that opened up whole new horizons to, to me and I now know that when I return from Malaga tomorrow that will be my last flight with Ryanair. I've booked, I'm going back to Malaga in two weeks time and I've booked this time with British Airways and uh, Nev's favourite airline will probably be my favourite airline too. A um, Embraer 190 with an exit seat is like travelling first class rail and being packed in the back of a um, 737 surrounded by a stag party is like being on a rather unpleasant night bus. And really, at my stage of life, I'm not looking for the cheapest, I'm just looking for something that's pleasant. So I thought I'd just give this bit of feedback that uh, price isn't everything. I'm currently sitting on the roof terrace in a village called Alara in Malaga province, about 50 kilometres um, up the Guadalhorce Valley. <laughs> um, absolutely perfect. I intend to spend many, many more days up here. All the best guys, blue skies. Andrew, out. Thank oh. you, Andrew Wilson. Wow. Now, now, Nev, there we are. Somebody <laughs> has finally seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> it was only a question of time, wasn't well, it? Really? Why, don't more, why don't more people do that? Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Great bit of feedback. That was, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Richard yeah. Ans was saying in the chat room here, actually, Nev was going to have to start charging commission. I, I was actually going to say, yeah, Nev's absolutely. Avios points or whatever yeah, now have absolutely. now sort of doubled by about 50 million. I should hope so, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to switch the printer on to print some invoices. Yeah, Quite right, <laughs> yeah, I should, absolutely. <laughs> no, thank you, Andrew, for that feedback. Absolutely great. It's always nice to hear from, uh, from the listeners. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, if you if that has spurred you on to send us uh, some of so. your own feedback, uh, send it please to uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. You can also send it to us via our social media channels. Uh, search your chosen uh, social media platform for Plain Talking UK, and you will almost certainly find us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, uh, to name just a few. Uh, website www.plaintalkinguk.com and if you'd like to do like what Tanya did you can order yourself a t-shirt yes yes just take yourselves over to the website click on the store button mm -hmm. and you can then click on there and it will send a, a direct link through and you can order yep. your t-shirt so I'm sorry to be very boring here boys and girls but we need to wrap up pretty sharpish so uh, <laughs> that is well we are going to wrap up episode number 270 of the show a big massive huge thanks to everyone who's joined us in yep. the live YouTube chat room this evening a big thanks to you guys for taking time out of your Friday evening yeah. to join us. And also not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show as an audio show. Thanks yeah. to you for downloading yeah. the show. Armando, what are you up to this week? Uh, have a pancake breakfast fly-in tomorrow in, uh, here in the area that I'm going to fly into. And uh, other than that, not much. No, okay. Uh, Carlos, what are you up to? Uh, next week I'll be setting up 
uh, for the Suffolk Show event Ooh. here in East Anglia, Very posh. Uh, which uh, which is going to involve me, my lorry, and my good friend Steve. Lots of stuff. Excellent, uh, Nev. What what do you have on the itinerary? Well, I'm only working one day next week, so I don't want to overdo <gasps> oh, it. Obviously, uh, of uh, steady that's, now. That's the, that's the Tuesday, <laughs> and then Wednesday. Uh, I'm down on the south coast uh, at uh, the lovely Bewley uh, doing a Ooh. couple of interviews down there Ooh, lovely. for one of the blogs that I write for. So oh, uh, yeah, it should cool. be a nice, uh, nice week. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not doing much at all this week. Uh, I'm getting on an, on an aeroplane on Sunday and I'm going to Brindisi. I'm going to my friend's wedding uh, in, oh, just outside Brindisi. Uh, I think it's a couple of hours away from Brindisi. Uh, I really should look up where. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, You're not uh, travelling alone. I am travelling alone, <gasps> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. So uh, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Let's not poke on that one too much because I'm really quite nervous. I'm going to be honest. Uh, but uh, yes, priority so boarding? Uh, no. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, to going and seeing my friend get married. That's the only reason I'm putting myself through that. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, that's on the Monday, and then I'm flying straight back again on the Tuesday. So yeah, I'm literally just nice. going out for the wedding. But uh, that's going to be suntan cool. lotion. Don't forget it. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be hot. Good, excellent. I could do. Well, I, I see. I'm very lucky. I don't do a nev. You see, I don't peel massively <laughs> the minute you put me out in bright lights. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it then guys thanks for joining us for episode number 270 of the show have a fantastic weekend whatever you're doing bank holiday weekend here in the uk and remembrance yeah. day uh or memorial day over in the us i should oh, say armando so yeah. uh, take care everyone and see you all next yeah week. take care everyone say goodbye everyone Bye-bye. bye bye happy birthday dr steph